the Cognitive Rampage podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lowry. Our guest today is Jennifer Elizabeth Masters. Uh, what I'm going to be doing, as you'll see, is leaving the intro that I do on the live shows. Uh, I think I'm getting a little better at them, so I'm going to leave that opening uh, because it's real and it's what happened. And it's real time. But I will preface those openings with uh, about two minutes or so of the conversation. Uh, this is, I'm obviously recording the uh, intro here after our conversation because i like to let people know what it's about. And um, we talk about love, relationships, uh, women overcoming relationships, men overcoming relationships, what women want, what men are looking for. Uh, she gives a few different uh, tools and things you can use for uh, finding love, relationships, but falling in love with yourself, really. But uh, Jennifer shares some very personal stories and a very tragic something that happened to her. I, I couldn't, I can't even tell you because it's when you hear what happened to her and, um, someone that she fell deeply in love with and connected with. And uh, it's very tragic and it's, it's, it's almost out of a nightmare, but she shares that uh, on the podcast. We uh, are very candid in our conversation about addiction, about drugs, about beliefs, about, uh, a lot of things. Uh, it's going to test your concrete beliefs too. Um, I'll let you, you know what? I'll just let you hear the podcast after that again. Uh, it's going to start with the live intro from our live recording, but, um, this is, uh, our guest, Jennifer Elizabeth Masters. She is author, international speaker, just Aphrodite effect is her tagline her website you got to go to it she is all things superhero woman empowerment women love personal empowerment but uh she is the author of a <laughs> i love the title of the book orgasm for life uh she shares some uh in between the sheets stories and a life of passion in that book i suggest you uh pick that up and uh, not only the author of Orgasm for Life, but uh, like I said, a speaker, a personal coach, um, empowering women, helping people find love, uh, connecting relationships. Uh, it's, uh, I would say, an A to Z. You know, I talk a lot about the podcast being uh, myself being feeling like an A to Z, right? Like I can plug in with anybody. You know, some people are K to M's, etc. And you know, I think uh, Jennifer is an A to Z. You know, she can plug in with just about anybody. Um, I've been following her on Facebook, and I've found her through her son, Adam Gates, from Naked and Healthy. Uh, if you go back a couple podcasts ago, uh, you can listen to Adam Gates, who is, he's just, he's fun, he's real, he's open. Uh, and I, I liked Adam so much that, and he talked about his mom, Jennifer, a lot. And because of that, I was just like, you know what? I looked her up, started watching, watching these videos and her talk, you know, and I was just like, yeah, I, I, I got to talk to her. And she has joined us in the podcast for those of you that are watching live uh, and joining us. Hello, Jennifer. How are you? Hello, Adam. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, I, I appreciate you being on. I um. I I was I don't think it's by chance that you happen to be my guest today uh for a couple things. Uh I had one 
I don't even know the descriptive word to tell you the weekend that happened. And uh, my best friend, I'll, I'll, I'll try a little bit. It's a, it was a very spiritual weekend is what I'm trying to allude to, right? It was this connection weekend of loss, of death, and life. And, you know, my, my best friend, my best man at my wedding, uh, producer of this podcast, Daniel McNamara, I'm sorry I'm putting it out there, bro, but it's in my life, and I am. So, um, you know, he flew in, and I went to pick him up at the airport, and he has a had a dog named Howie. And Howie has been with us forever. Howie has lived with me when we were roommates and business partners. Howie is is was his best friend, to be honest. Howie made Danny brave. And uh, everywhere Danny was scared to go, Howie would lead the way. And anyway, it was terrible what happened because as he gets off the airplane, I'm going to pick him up, and poor Howie goes into seizures right at the airport drop-off. And no one does anything. Howie has gone into heavy seizures. He's he's pooping, peeing. It's just, it's terrible scene. And no one's helping. People start filming it. People started filming his dog seizing. This goes on for 30 minutes, 15 minutes or so before any cop shows up, any EMT shows up. No one helped or called anybody. And look, I understand it's a it's a dog to people, but a cop easily could have thrown Howie in the back seat and been to the vet. So I pull up to this scene of poor Howie just suffering and people filming, my best friend freaking out, you know, another best friend just, we're losing him, and we load him as fast as we can into the car, I run red lights, you know, I we get there in eight minutes, that means a cop could have got there with lights on in five, and the problem is, is Howie sat in 106 degree fever because of the seizures for over, for just about an hour. And he wouldn't come down out of those seizures, and we all know what high fevers do. So I'm sorry I'm just telling that story, Jennifer, on your introduction. Um, I'm trying to correlate the, your, you know, how, what you believe about the world, etc., myself. So anyway, it happens to be his birthday as well, my best friend, Danny. So his best friend dies on his birthday, which was last night. And we all got together at one of our good friend Mike Francis's house, who's just a really awesome guy. And we had a big bonfire, and we all brought everything, because we all had a piece of Howie of something, whether it was a tennis ball or a blanket. You know, all of us, got, you know, friends kind of had some piece of Howie. And we all show up at this bonfire in this smiling, spiritual way, and we burn everything. You know, we burn the last sheets that he was on when he was in the back seat. And, you know, we all just gathered off and uh, there was a musical connection. I'm very big into music. And long story short, Mike and I had been trying to discover this reggae song of a CD he had in his truck for like eight years. And I played a bunch of reggae songs and I couldn't find it because I got a bunch of reggae on my phone. Well, I always think life's better with a soundtrack. And so as we started to burn all of Howie's stuff and kind of a send off, I had a special song prepared for Danny. And Howie. And it was a song called Smile by Groundation. And I kid you not, Jennifer, when I press play on the song, Mike goes, that's the song. That is the exact song of the CD in the truck that we'd been looking for all night. It, it was the exact song. That, that What are the chances that the one song I send off Howie with was the song we had hunted for all night of that reggae song from 2008 on a CD? And that plays... And 
it was just also perfect because that CD was also given to Danny by his writer of his very first movie, which is coming out soon. And it was all just connected, right? It was all just there. And I'm just going to say we we had a little fungi help, if you know what I mean. And we were all in that place together. And it was spiritual. It was powerful. It was my friend's birthday. And then he just took off to the beach randomly. I went on walkabout through the neighborhood. And Danny just left with his amazing awesome girlfriend who i love samantha she's just awesome and they went out to the beach where him and how he spent time and he sent me videos of the sunrise and just kind of finding himself so and the fact i get to sit down with you today when what i know about you and your journey your history and how nature spoke to you on how it just kind of called to you to a place based on time and chance maybe maybe perfect symmetry i don't know but so to sit with someone that believes as you believe today and the spiritual you know, moments I had this weekend, tears too. And I don't know. I, I Thank you, I guess. That's a very long way to say I've had a eventful movement weekend and I'm glad it gets to be you that I talk to. Excuse me while I just... <laughs> it, the interesting thing about what you just expressed and howie is that i've had a dog a border collie mix for now i've had her 15 years so she is 17 she was two years two and a half years old when i got her and we go to the beach all the time she is my best friend she has traveled 37,000 miles with me back and forth across this country she's been with me almost every moment of my life for 15 years and the connection we have is beyond what humans can have because she has she's never held a grudge she might have gotten angry at me momentarily but it's gone and every time I come home she's happy to see me I go out the door she's with me so I know how how spiritual a relationship can be with a, with a dog. It's amazing. So, and, and I was very moved by your story. I, I, very moving. It was, he went, he's so cool, man. Danny's really awesome. He, uh, he went and got the coolest tattoo. He literally had a, uh, they did a paw print of him, uh, uh, like a fingerprint. And then he did a real, that exact very size and everything right on his forearm last night. Uh, just a beautiful, paw print it looks you know it's it's how he's paw print and he put it right on his mm -hmm. forearm last you know within 24 hours of that happening and what i thought was unique is not two weeks ago he got his other tattoo on his other forearm um which he wanted to steal from me it was one of my tattoos but uh he wanted to get it before <laughs> me but it's awesome it's uh the sailor uh tag hold fast and I'm a waterman, a sailor, a diver. It's what I do. And so I've always said hold fast in my life. So he went and tattooed two weeks before this, hold fast. And I thought, man, and now Howie's paws on the left forearm, the same spot. And I thought, wow, what's the synergy there between, you know, like the world was saying, get ready to hold fast, you know, because I don't know. Well, the interesting thing about my dog is I had a vision before I got her of a black dog and I had just lost two dogs hit by one car. What are the chances of that happening? Oh, 
and and this one dog swam to me. She uh, she swam across uh, Blue Ridge Lake, Lake Blue Ridge, as a she was a little puppy lost, and I guess she felt my heart across that lake, and she swam across to me, and she and I were like we were like one. And she got hit by that car. She wait. I was at church. I think that was the last time I went to church. Mm, <laughs> uh, church, church is wherever I am. Um, but anyway, she waited until I got home. The other dog was killed instantly. And uh, anyway, that dog. She talked to me the whole way to the vet. And died just as we put, she did, you know, she was in really bad shape, but she talked to me the whole time. Here's the thing. I've written about dogs because, and cats, I have both. <laughs> and Adam, you know, my son, Adam, probably has talked to you about nature. I relate to all of nature and we're so connected. We learn from everything. And I will say my animals have taught me so much about love. I discovered that I had emotional unavailability from one of my cats and I <laughs> truly, <laughs> so it's interesting. We often can see that in other people, but when we, you know, we, we don't see things in ourselves. It's so much easier to point a finger and say, you have this. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. not me. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I write about that, but on my blog, love yourself fearlessly. Uh, there's an article about emotional unavailability. It's it, I invite everybody to read it because at some point, you know, we have a part of us that shuts down because we're afraid. Uh, maybe we've been molested as children and that can cause it. Or maybe we've had a broken heart and don't want to be completely vulnerable. So that connecting or Closing your heart down a little bit to protect yourself, that's, you know, it's that um, unavailability, that part that you won't allow anyone to touch. And, you know, and animals do find a way to tap into that that space, right? Because you can let them in there, that space, because what, you could come home and be an asshole and they don't care. You can be gone for, it doesn't matter. So I, I, they do show unconditional love in its definition. And maybe, or maybe they know they get food from us, so I don't know. But oh no, I think unconditional. <laughs> right, right. So they can teach us that, and but that wall that we put up because I know it's going to be really hard for my best friend to ever come back to Florida because he lives in New York, mm -hmm. he travels with Howie, and it just happened to be he bad relationship with Florida, and I get that. I got issues with this state, and uh, he happened to be when he traveled here, you know, and it happens, and. For him, it was closing down that side to be able to say it's this fucking state, you know, to deal with something like that, which God, I would blame that and everything else. You know, I would. I, oh, my God. I And being with Howie kind of that last hour, you know, that connection that you kind of feel that you want to, you know, help or be there, you know, as you're he's just in the it was just it was intense. And to watch my my best friend lose his best friend, you know, like that, I'm. You know, what would you tell somebody that experiences either the loss of an animal or a person even? I mean, for many, it's the same that do close down or shut down that an inability to be reached for safety reasons. There's there's a, a statement that 
it, it kind of serves in a lot of ways. As you do one thing is how you do everything. So if, if you don't love and accept all of you, then you're not going to want to show all of you to the world. And the, the, the best way, I mean, for one thing, you ask, how would I relate to somebody? Well, the first thing that I will say is when a loved one dies, the love is still there. Love never goes away. It, it, it crosses time, it, it, death, divorce, love is always present. Breakups, it, the person may say to you, I don't love you, but it's not true because love is always there. It's most people think love's an emotion. It's not an emotion. Mm. It's actually an energy. Mm. And it, it, it is the truest sense of who we are. Underneath all the bullshit, underneath the persona, the mask, our true nature, and this is the true nature of everyone, is love. It is our true nature. And when people are having issues with money, it's usually because they're not in that state of love, love and acceptance. And we need to be in that place of love and acceptance to give and receive. Uh, and I, so we can't receive money when we don't love ourselves. I like that. Can I, we're going to have to stretch to money. I, I, we're going to, I'm going to back up. I love everything you're saying <laughs> and, and, and that, that connection and that, oh, you dropped so many. That's why I had to reach over and get a sheet of paper. I forgot my notepad. <laughs> and now I'm like trying to hide the fact I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a pen. I'm like, all right, I got to start writing because I've, I've got one. Let me hand you one. Yeah. One day, one day. <laughs> One day, which is funny, I usually have like pins just galore around here, but um, wow, uh, I love it. You open up so much of Pandora's box and, and a few statements. Uh, well, love is always present. It's always present, even yeah. in death. Yeah, I was, uh, w the death part, thank you. Coming back to the beginning, the death part, I love that you fact that the love is always there. What I like to talk about on the psychology end is, uh, it's about redefining the relationship, you know, not losing the relationship. And sometimes I use the example that, look, if you had a loved one that moved to Antarctica, they can't call you every day. You can't talk to them. But that relationship, you know, it exists. And so just because a physical presence may not be there or persistent, it's about redefining the relationship as it is to losing the relationship. I've. I've had a lot of loved ones die, and it started actually early. Um, I had a, a dear friend when I was 16 drown with his brother, oh. and he, his spirit came to me. It was the first time that I'd experienced that. And so that continues to happen in my life that, you know, when I'm working with clients, I, I do mediumship. It's, it's not and you said I'm an A to Z person. You're absolutely right there. <laughs> so when I'm when I'm working with a client and and a, their dad comes in to give them a message, you know, I pass the message on. So there's always communication. We just have to be open to receive it. Yeah, I, I get that. I'm at some ooh, the communication medium. Wow, that is that's powerful. That's a realm I'd like to talk about later. Um, okay. You know, redefining um, that loss in the relationship. Uh, I, you touched on that, which I loved, and helping people redefine that. Um, how would how do you encourage people that have suffered uh, maybe not expected loss, an immediate or sudden loss, and trying to cope with helping to keep love alive or the relationship, uh, uh, you know, existent? Well, 
are you talking about death specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would... oh, okay, okay. So, um, here's here's the thing: is that usually a loved one will come in to send you a message immediately when they come to you in your dreams. They are present with you. This is not just a dream. Um, you are actually being visited by that loved one. Uh, you can talk to them. You can call upon them. Um, and it's interesting because I, I had a, a client recently. She's been a coaching client for several years. And she asked me to set up a mediumship meeting with her dad. And I talked to him prior to the meeting. And I said, you know, we have an appointment set up. Will you show? And he said, of course, you know, I already know, you know, because there's no time and space, you know. So people on the other side, all you have to do is think of them and they know it. It's immediate. And eventually, I think humans will be communicating that way as well. I mean, I... You're you're not the first one to say that. No, there's a lot of research and things also being done about the idea of communicating. There's a lot of podcast hosts, um, Joe Rogan being one of them. Uh, that walk down that road of a future idea of being able to uh, communicate. Uh, a lot of them joke about uh, when you won't be able to lie anymore because people can just read your thoughts and what you're saying, what you're thinking. Uh, and, I, and for some people, they would step back and go, holy shit. But I would argue the fact that uh, flight was impossible until it wasn't. So, you know, we, we evolve and we're a changing species. And somewhere between... An evolvement space in the future, and now uh, maybe there's the evolvers, right? The ones that slowly evolve in some area than the others. I mean, I, I had this uh, great argument last night. It was great talk that you know vegetarians are still about nine to ten percent of um, the U.S. in eating, but maybe we're having or naturally evolving as humans due to necessity because of the things happening with meat and farming and agriculture and et cetera, that maybe a hundred years from now, right? That the vegetarians are really the evolvers that are 10% into it, that maybe we can't even, we're just naturally changing. So whether it's medium, whether it's an eating, whatever the evolution is, whether we evolve to read minds, whether we evolve to just be able to un- unconditionally love and be the essence of what I also agree with you, the, the human nature of love and acceptance. I agree with you there. You know, So if anyone is listening or watching, I, I would first argue, I would tell you, not argue, I'd tell you to challenge your immediate concrete beliefs that may hit you about possibilities. Because if, if you're not willing to question the impossible, you're planning for the inevitable. So <laughs> that's a good one. Thank you. At a minimum, be willing to question any concrete belief, especially if you hear something. Question the idea that man, if there is no reality and truth, which I argue there is not, there's mere perceptions of things and things backed by science and research, sure, but the idea of the possibilities of the evolvement somewhere between A to Z, the evolvers existed. You know, and that's why I take everything in with this optimistic hope and, and thought and listen to learn from, you know, and that connection, sometimes it scares people. You got to know, Jennifer, that's got to scare people hearing that idea that someone speaks so freely about being able to do something like that. I, I want to talk about a couple of things that you brought up. For example, lying. So as we evolve as humans, and I experienced an awakening in 2000, it started really in 2011 into 2012. I need a pen. (laughs) 
and now I cannot lie. So if I say something to you that isn't, yay, that isn't a hundred percent true, I hear in my head, uh, you might want to correct that. So I have to course correct in the moment, not next week, but in the moment. So if I say, for example, I make a statement that isn't a hundred percent accurate for me, I have to correct it. And that's what we're moving into that as we evolve as humans become awakened, enlightened, whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> excuse me, self-actualized, we can't lie. We have to be honest. We have to be authentic. Wow. And that is one of the best connections, Jennifer. I've heard that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. That's one okay. of the, that's wow. So from a practitioner standpoint, a psychologist, uh, not, I'm not a psychologist, but a, a, a researcher of psychology, a mental health counselor on that side that's a great connection because as a cognitive practitioner, we begin with what you believe to, cor to choreograph your thoughts to construct what you feel. And wow, that connection of the idea of it's true. You can't lie in your own inner dialogue, even including in CBT or any, pra any cognitive practice. So wow, beautiful connection. I love that idea so that that can link because if that's so, sorry, yeah. So, so in being authentic, I, I'm the same with you as I would be meeting your children, as I would be meeting your dog. Well, I might be even softer with your dog, um, but I'm the same with everybody. I, I don't care how old you are. This is, this is who I am. And this is what we're all moving into that, you know, you, you don't change who you are for the person you're with. No, that's what I used to do. And, um, and I, I want to just, just mention that. Part of my healing process, I kept looking outside of me for love. And in doing so, I've been married four times and divorced four times. And it, it actually took to my third marriage and divorce to recognize that I was the common denominator in all of my relationships. <laughs> and I've, <laughs> right? <laughs> that that so, takes a humbling so, right there. <laughs> you you can't keep blaming other people because you're the only one that keeps showing up everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So so when we recognize that you know we cause from our thoughts, from our own personal feelings, we create our own world. We create our own universe. You know, my daughter just had a, a breakup, and she talks to me on her way home from um, her college. And she's, oh, shit, and F this and F that, and somebody's cutting me off, and why is this always happening? I go, Ariel, it's because you're so angry. You know, so how we act, how we think, and she's angry because this guy broke up with her twice, and <laughs> she's angry with herself because she went back with him. But our inner emotions is like a megaphone out into the universe, so if you're wondering why you have chaos, why you have drama, why you have people committing road rage, it's because you have all those things inside of you. And so when all this inner emotion is calm or gone or cleared, because this is what I do for my clients, I clear those trapped emotions. And one or two or even three sessions, I, I worked on a rape victim. She'd been raped 40 years ago, 40 years ago. 
And this person kidnapped her for three days and she could have ended up dead. Long story short, she found me. She lives in Glendale, California. I did two hypnotherapy sessions on her and she's out of that victimhood, changed her world because I got rid of all of that. I'm a victim. Um, Men hurt me. Um, whatever all those betrayal emotions and abandonment issues that she had. So it's, it's our inner, inner emotions that dictate what happens in our world. So the more calm and peaceful that we really truly are, that's what we experience in our life. Yeah, a lot of people <clears throat> agree with that notion too, and they say it in different ways, right? They say things like uh, putting good karma out there. They say, uh, you know, a lot of off the cuff cliche statements, but really truly mean that. You know, what you put out there, you get back, or do unto others as, as you'll have them do under you. Go religious if you want to. There's so many uh, angles on what that really means that, hey, sometimes I say, look, if it's cliche, it may be true. You know, so and there's so many variations of that idea of what <clears throat> of the energy that you put into the world is the energy it will return and will come back. Um, you know, you talked about the anger, right, that people are holding that anger in that while you get the road rage, et cetera. And I, w- I would agree with you. Hell, I've I've made the argument before that agriculture was the invention and downfall of man and the creation of depression, anxiety, too. But that's another story. Um, but the anger itself um I, I talk when I talk with clients that anger isn't real, that anger is a symptom stemming from deep-seated hurt and fear uh, that, that builds up. But we, you know, most of us have to be strong, right? We can't admit we're hurt and afraid. Our society has trained us, right? It's to just be angry. And I, I think this symptom, because I also think addiction is a symptom or over-drug use or et cetera is a symptom too. I, I want to talk about that. Okay, I'm going to write that down. We will. And the... <laughs> That, you know, treating the, of the symptom. And I think this country uh, in a vast majority is showing the symptomatic expressions of anger, which is really deep seated hurt and fear really across the country. People are very hurt and they're very afraid. And that's why you get these responses with the Trumps and everybody else that are just spewing anger and hate, even if it's one side to the other. And so anger, I think, can be such an infectious symptom like you talked about, and it's so strong that it changes countries and topples empires. So the fact that we wouldn't for a second think that if you harbor anger inside, it wouldn't affect little old you. Well, anger that you feel like you don't have the right to have causes depression. And that is why so many people, and you know, school age children, like I'm talking preschool children are depressed. Yeah. Oh, you see it? Oh, because half these damn parents are slapping them on synthetic pills before they're even born. Well, that too, and they're sticking them in front of the the TV or a computer. And, you know, I see it in the grocery stores, you know, babies crying, newborn babies crying, and the mother plows a bottle in the child's mouth. What about the cuddling? What about the loving? I mean, there were studies done uh, during Nazi Germany of infants, they they studied, and I, I think it was like 80 babies that they cared for, they fed them, they changed them, they clothed them, but they didn't, they didn't cuddle them, they didn't hold them, they didn't stroke them. There wasn't that skin-to-skin contact, and these children ended up, you know, with severe 
mental handicaps and, uh, you know, mental retardation. It's touch is an important part. I have a YouTube video about this. It's an important part of life. We need to be touched. I live alone. I touch myself and I'm not talking about masturbation. Yes, I do that too, but I'm talking about I touch myself. I put lotion on my body after I get out of the shower. I touch myself. How often do people get held? I mean, I I see marriages, 26-year marriages. They don't hug. They're not having sex. Where's the connection? So, you know, we have to do for ourselves so that we are available for others. Oh, man. I couldn't agree. And if anger is stemming from hurt and fear, because beneath all hurt and fear, I agree with you uh, that in most innate humans, non-psychopaths, the first innate need that we want is to be loved and accepted. And when that's right. not obtained, we become hurt. We become afraid. We have assumptions to make expectations. And now we just respond to anger. And and then we become addicted. Ooh, to the response, to the rewards, to the all of those. Yeah, I would agree. And your your correlation between the lack of affection in this country, you speak to the healthy attachment, which which most kids are missing, and the very important one to four years old, uh, or zero to four years old, where they have to have that healthy attachment with the mom, with love and affection, and the father, even voices, you know, um, of affect in children that are born recognize voices. So, I mean, there's research that shows. Uh, if the father is constantly yelling at the pregnant mother when the child is born, it will be it can be fearful of the voice of the father and have unhealthy attachments there. So I think you're right. One affection has gone the way of the birds in this fucking country. They've turned affection to pure sex. And well, look at Tinder. I mean, I, I have I have a span of adult children. I have Adam who is 30. I think he's going to be 34. And then David who's 32. And then I have a 19 year old daughter. So I have this vast expanse uh, and I experience through them. And here's my daughter on, I think, meet me and Tinder. And I said, you know, Ariel, all these guys want to do is hook up and, and see, she's, you know, she's not, she hasn't been raised that way. You know, we, Gave her the love that she needed growing up. But, you know, it, she's still having issues with, you know, men not wanting her for her. They want her for sex. And, you know, there's such a disconnection. And I, I have a sex blog. I mean, I talk about spirituality. I write about sex. But what I talk about is connection. Because it isn't just banging body parts together. That's not what sex is meant to be. It's we're supposed to experience you know, a connection, a heart connection, not just genitals. Yeah, that's huge because, like I said, this society has taken the idea of affection and marketed it to to people's psyches as sex. And so affection is now really just either flirting towards sex, right? We lose the love part of the affection. And so I think a lot of this country, men as well, they're marketed hard to with sex, uh, excuse the pun. And they forget that, that, you know, that touch is, is important. But as, you know, say you get it as a child, even as you get older in the world, you still lack the affection. The country as a whole lacks affection, empathy and, and concern for others. And, you know, sharing of those emotions, being vulnerable, showing the love means weakness for the most part in this country. 
And I think that's where a lot of that anger begins to boil from is like you said, we're, we're not focusing on our innate or on our nature, which is to love and to accept and to help and to hold. And as a country, we're getting angry and, you know, love is missing a lot. I would, I would agree with that. Well, a a lot of people have the attitude, what's in it for me? What are you doing for me? But they're not interested in giving back to you. And, and here's the way that universe works. You give and you receive a thousandfold. It's always, you've heard it. It's better to give than receive. That is so true. I, I want to take a, a little back, back step to the addiction issue because it's really huge. Uh, men are addicted to porn, and I am sure there are some women out there, but I think it has to do with men's wiring, why men are having such an issue with porn. So there's porn addiction. There's sex addiction. There's uh, food addiction, addiction to sugar. Um, diabetes is, is caused by feeling uh, missing out on the sweetness of life. And that comes from not being loved. Okay, so addiction is caused by a lack of self-love. And I believe that humans, this is part of our human experience, that people who point fingers and say, you're addicted, I will be able to easily turn around and say, let me show you your addiction. Everyone at some point on this planet deals with some sort of an addiction, even if it's ice cream. Yeah, there's a and, there's a comedian Jim Gaffigan. A lot of people know. I love him. He does the stand up uh, where he talks about everybody has their McDonald's and everybody, <laughs> you know, they, they they harp on it. Oh, you eat that shit? Oh, you're gross. And then <laughs> then they go home and watch TMZ. You know what I mean? So it's like right. he, he explains that everybody has their McDonald's, right? And we hear that from everybody because th- the word addiction itself is is subjective because in our world uh, and very misused addiction is really classified as affecting your biopsychosocial, meaning it's affecting your biology, your social components, uh, as well as your mental components and you can't function within life. And it doesn't mean that you just do it a lot because it technically has to affect all of those things to be in my, in our world, right? That classifies addiction. And, but we all know workaholics exist uh and ruin families right Shopaholics. that's right and so we know all these things exist to a point of excess sometimes i joke around and i like to say uh everything in moderation including moderation and with, with <laughs> without because I, I i don't want to be one that forces my own beliefs about how much or how little someone should or shouldn't do to or with their own body whether that be drugs or anything else you know so uh, I try to tread lightly to that in that area when I talk about somebody's personal choices, you know. So addiction becomes very fuzzy in itself. Um, but I would agree with you. There's so many things that take away from us. Oh God, I'm holding it. Yeah, caffeine, bro. Well, I'm, I'm holding. I, it. I went. I went off caffeine. This is probably the tenth time I've done it. Um, <laughs> but I went. I went. <laughs> I like my coffee. I do. Uh, but. I, I went off it for 30 days, and I have to say my body went into a huge detox. Coffee or caffeine addiction is one of the biggest addictions that Americans have, and we drink something like 30 gallons of, of coffee yeah. a, a year. 
Well, I was, it's a lot. That's craziness. the The question I wanted to actually, I was folding, I was getting to eventually. I go on tangents, so forgive me. Plus, I'm caffeinated, so I'm drugged right now. <laughs> uh, I am hev- I'm drugged right now, so I'm heavily uh, pepped. So my, my question was in our in our field and my side of this this academia thing, the idea of the biopsychosocial is needing to be so to be classified as addiction. Would Would you agree with that uh, that notion or is it too subjective even for somebody to try to narrow down exactly what a diagnosis of addiction would be? An addiction is feeling the need to have it to either soothe something that's going on in the body or f- uh, the failure to be able to receive whatever it is that you're addicted to will cause you anxiety. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 that's a good definition too. I, I, I resort. There was this guy that his name's Dr. Rybeck. Um, he has worked on NASA. He was just out there, and I, just smart as heck. And um, oh, I gotta. Woo, I started thinking of our interview, and it took me to ten places. Um, <laughs> we were talking about addiction being bring me back here. Uh, go cover your definition for me again. Okay, so. Addiction is something that you have to do on a regular basis. It could be coffee on a, on a daily basis. If you don't have it, you have some sort of physical, some sort of physical, whether it's a headache or, you know, you, you know, for men that get an erection because they have to watch porn, <laughs> Damn. it's some sort of physical thing Damn. that happens to the body. <laughs> Damn, I'm addicted. <laughs> Damn. No, uh, <laughs> I got it now. He referenced the idea of addiction being an excessive form of mood modulation. And we talked on the show, one of my very first podcasts back when it was just a laptop in an office, about how even as kids, we wanted to mood modulate. Meaning, if you've ever seen a little kid spin around in circles or uncle throws them up in the air, and their, their next comment is, do it again, do it again. Do it again. Right. <laughs> and so they're, they're chasing this mood modulation. And so... Um, be it necessary that I think we've covered the fact that addiction is too subjective really for anyone to classify it as really much how it affects your life really. Um, but that difference there is, is everyone dealing with addiction have to be, are they covering something, filling something, or could they simply be expanding into more of a mood modulation place? All addiction comes from a lack of self-love. I don't care what kind of addiction it is. Okay. It's, it's the need for more love, more love and acceptance. And I would say that every single person on this planet at some point had a codependent issue. We're, we're born dependent on our parents. Sure. We are codependent as we're born. Sure. And sure. if we get enough love as we're growing and evolving as children, then we move out of that place of codependency. But most people don't. Oh. And, and even if the parents, cause I, my first book was the story of my, my life and my awakening and pissed my mother off for years, for years. And she, now we don't talk about it. We're beyond it. She wrote, she read my orgasm for life. My mother, by the way, is 94 and health is a horse still driving, living by herself. She cooks her own food. And I want to talk about cooking our own food. Very important. But Here's the thing. My perception of what my parents did or didn't do is different than my parents' perception of what happened and didn't happen. So we all 
have these events that happen in our life. And then we feel like the victim, my daddy didn't love me, mommy betrayed me, whatever it is, everyone has those. And they are literally heaven sent. You know, whether you believe in God or a higher power or source, whatever, they come to us for our growth and evolution. That's all. The relationships that come and go are here to teach us more about us. And if you're not learning and evolving, basically you're dying. Yeah, I love that. Anything not growing right. is dead, said by Lauren Hill, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that quote. I'm, I'm going to go back. We talked, um, it was a, a great correlation. We talked, or you talked, about being in a relationship and uh, loving yourself. And you mentioned the phrase, uh, a lot of people are, it's about me. What about me? What's in it for me? And I want to draw a, two parallels to two different worlds, if you will. And maybe you can help sh- help people try to shed a light in this and a difference in me, too, because I struggle with this notion, is you see this emergence of this personal power life, this personal power culture where you take your life back, you change your life, and it's uh, follow your dreams, right? It's, it's very selfish sounding when you do it like I just did for an extent. And then we talk about trying to find a relationship and share love. But if both people coming into the relationship live the personal power culture, what kind of you, you see the conflict of interest you see here is this personal power. I call it the Destiny's Child lifestyle, the Beyonce way. You know, you take this Beyonce way where I don't need nobody unless, right? And then if the male does the same thing, right? Personal power growth, my own experiences in life. Could this be a reason you got 50% divorce rate? Reasons, there are, among other things, like the lack of love and sharing, etc. But this, this clashing of cultures, this personal independent power of Beyonce versus, you know, the sharing of your life. Okay, so it's... It's actually threefold. Everyone wants to feel significant. It is human nature to search for significance. We want validation from others. We, we need to validate ourselves. Um, then, then there is the um, my way or the highway, you know, feeling like I'm right, you're wrong. And that, that framework can't coexist in a loving relationship. It's not possible. And then the other part is expectation. This is where, and having been married and divorced, I understand. We, Why doesn't he take the garbage out? When I live by myself, I clean the cat litter box. I clean my house. I take garbage out. I do it all. So why not continue to do those things and not have those expectations of another person? Because when you expect you're going to be disappointed. And that's the thing is that people expect others to be a certain way. And women are notorious for expecting their partners to intuitively know what it is they want and need. And then, and then they get pissed. It's a Canadian expression. Pardon me. No, it is here too. You can say pissed. It don't matter. You're good. (laughs) So, so then women get angry when their, their husbands or boyfriends don't know what they need and then go off in a, in a huff and are angry. And the guys left going, well, I don't understand what happened. And men, and that's why I talk about in my book. I don't know if you read it, but um, men have a certain 
type of framework. They want to be respected, appreciated, and they want companionship. Women want to be adored. They want romance. They want um, the kids taken care of. They want you to make money. They want you to do housework, but not too much because then you're not masculine anymore. So, you know, with women, it's you can't seem to win. You do too much in one area and then you're not manly. You don't do enough and then you're not taking care of her needs. So it, women and men both need to communicate their wants and desires. And when we look to take care of each other's wants and desires, that's when we have this cohesiveness as opposed to two parties that are really counterproductive. So you, you want to have a blending rather than missing the mark or not communicating. I agree. What I, man, you cover up. We are on the same wavelength here. I like I, what I say. I did a video not long ago. Um, I called uh, the relationship killers, assumptions and expectations. And when we force our assumptions on expectations, communication breaks down. That's where the hurt and fear steps in. I'm on the save label, same label, wavelength with you there. Good Lord. And, yeah. you know, it's true. We, we walk into that making expectations. And one of the, when I'm working with clients too, they'll, you know, man and fe- male and female, especially these days, because there's, you're starting to see less of a contrast between that so-called feminine and masculine. You're really starting to see a blend between that feminine side on both, because there's a lot of males out there that are going, give me the feeling, like you said, that companionship. I love those three descriptive, by the way. By the way. I, I may have to agree with you there on those three uh, of what men are, are structured around. And uh, that companionship, that sharing, I think men are starting to, to go that way too. But you're right, women want to be taken and swooped and masculine and then also caressed and massaged and, right, it's finding that fine line. But but, but, but not too much. Right, right. And so what I, I ask a lot of men and women sometimes, they'll go off on this whole rant, you know, about he did and they did and on Tuesday they said, right, like a damn stenotypist in a court, right? Like they're just reading back the whole shit. <laughs> And after it's all over, I go, did you tell him that? Or did you did you tell her that directly? Well, no, I mean, they should have figured it out. I, I, right? You're right. They want this. They should just naturally know. How real is the notion of just naturally knowing? Well, it's, it's not. And assuming that somebody's going to understand the unspoken, that that is one of the biggest problems that we have. Here's what I see the biggest the biggest issues in relationships. Women have a tendency to like say jump to conclusions. Uh, they make judgments, and then they're disappointed because their expectations aren't met. And you know, women are the ones that are filing divorce sixty one percent of the time. Women are the ones that get in their egos and. Well, he's spending too much time on the road or he's not, you know, so I'm raising the children. Meanwhile, you know, the man is busting his butt try, trying to make a living. And now I know that men and women both are working in many households, which is why children are suffering to such an extent. And and then the, the parental units, this is an issue for kids that parents are looking for self-esteem from their children, which is a huge mistake. And there's such a breakdown of the family system today. There's this trickle-down effect 
where maybe 50 years ago, our parents used to smack us around and, and spank us. You know, I certainly got spanked. Yep. But at, at the same time, I respected my parents. I wouldn't talk back to my dad because I'd get, I'd get a backhand. Now, now is that love? So, is that love or fear? Oh, I was afraid. Yes. Yeah, I was afraid. Now, I do love my dad. You know, I, I loved my dad. Uh, but there was a healthy dose of respect there. And today. Respect or fear, though? Oh, no, I respected my dad. There was, you know, I, I, I will say part of, part of what happens with a lot of women, it happened for me, is that I kept trying to replicate that relationship I had with my dad. And then I'd attract angry men and wonder why the men were angry. And they're just like my dad. Yeah, a lot of people, we joke about dating our mothers or our fathers, but uh, for the most part, you know, we will rebuild even a war zone lifestyle, relationship, childhood. We will rebuild the war zone because we're comfortable in it. Our skills work there. We've normalized it. Well, you know what that's about? This is really interesting. Barbara DeAngelis does this exercise in her workshops, and she says, so write home and then write all the descriptors that would describe what was your home like? Did you feel safe or did you feel fear? Did you feel loved and accepted or did you feel judged? Uh, did you feel betrayed? Were you abandoned? Write all those things down. Now, okay, so cross off home and write relationship. And how similar are those two lists? Whoa. Because usually home, it, that's what made us feel loved. Whether we were loved or not, that is our version of love. And so then we set about trying to replicate what our home life was, and maybe it was dysfunctional. So that's that's a source of a lot of people's issues because they're trying to replicate, you're right, what they feel comfortable in. Yeah, it's true. I, I call them a lot of times early life victories. When, when certain skills and coping skills and methods work during really trying times like abuse, bad marriages, addiction, when those coping skills work, we apply them later in life in different environments going, well, this has to work because it worked to do that and do that, whether it's yelling, anger, uh, running away, pushing away, closing down. We, we have those early life victories, then we duplicate the, we try to duplicate those results in every issue we have with the same tools, even though it doesn't apply whatsoever. And, uh, I, I would totally agree that uh, a lot of people aren't willing to question those, um, beliefs or question their own, their own part in creating that play. Well, here's the other thing is that in my coaching practice, what I've seen is women come to me usually after a bad breakup or they're, you know, they're having challenges in relationships. So they're looking for a, a relationship that's healthy. But when someone who is different and isn't in their little box of what they consider you know, someone to be attracted to, it feels uncomfortable because it's not what they're used to. So stepping out into that void and into a healthier relationship, it isn't going to feel quote unquote normal for you because you haven't had a healthy relationship. You've had bad relationships and now you're looking for a healthy one and that doesn't feel right to you. Yeah. So I, you keep, you keep on leaning towards the bad boy or the bad girl or whatever you want to call them. 
Yeah, we a lot of times how we pick our mates, I think, influence, you know, how we're picking or the people we're picking, um, you know, a lot of times are because we're not picking right. Right. We have we have a wrong picker meter, if you will. And that's uh, clinical. <laughs> that's ter- right. And that's clinical terminology, too. <laughs> uh, we have a picker thing. You know, and it, but we do, but we repeat those processes. Hell, you said in the beginning you repeated the same process with four marriages before you finally went, oh shit, it's everybody else divided by me. You know, and then until that happened, you know, until we're willing to question those beliefs uh, about what we expect, what we deserve, what love is. Uh, and like I like to say, we have to be willing to be uh, uncomfortable because uncomfortable is where the change is. Well, here's the other thing that I see is that the people are dating someone and for example and I'll ask so you know does he drink yes but just beer <laughs> so so people make excuses and explain away bad behavior early on when they should see the sign and go oh every time we have a date he has two or three beers to my one glass of wine or my soda water every single time Hmm, maybe that's a red flag. That's oh man, you said red flag. I was about to quote my mom, uh, who <laughs> now my mom is one of the strongest women that I know. She was married to my dad for twenty six years, um, separated once between there, but uh, violent, emotionally fearful, um, war zone, if you will, emotionally for her. Um, and she, she got through that after 20, it's funny that when you use the example at the beginning of the show, when you said 26 years, I was just like, Whoa, that's my mom. (laughs) But she did, she did married at 17, you know, and then 26 years of that and watching her struggle to try to regain her footing emotionally. Um, after that, it's difficult. You know, we talked earlier about closing down after those events happen, right. And not being able to open back up and, trying not to repeat the same process of what we're worth, right? Or I, I think you, you also talked about self-esteem. That's why I wanted to draw a correlation to. You talked about loving yourself, and you talk about loving yourself a lot before you can love somebody else. Here's the thing, is that most people, and I was guilty of it too, I did it too, I wanted to be loved. So I looked outside of me looking for the relationship to fill me up. It's backwards. If we want love, we have to give it to us first. And when we're full, then it's, there is, have you heard of the Taurus pattern? The Taurus pattern? So we have the, the, I'm going to explain it this way. The energy of creation is like a fountain. The energy goes up and out and fountains around. And we have a Taurus pattern inside us that comes up and fountains out the top of our head, comes back through the root chakra and back out again. And so if you want to manifest something, envision the Taurus pattern. Um, I'll put it up on your Facebook page. I'll, I'll send you a picture. Yeah, yeah. So this, so when we are full, then we're radiating out to the universe, to everyone we meet, love. And that's when we just magnetize love to us. And also, not only just love, but the better that you feel about you, and I'm not talking about feeling conceited, um, but the better that you feel, the more complete you feel, the happier you feel, then you're sending out that vibration out into the universe. And as I said, whatever you give, you get back. 
So you're giving the universe this beautiful, happy, high vibration energy out and you get good things back in return. Uh, uh, yes, I'm totally, I mean, what I, I, I love it. I, yes, I'm agreeing with you. I'm not even going to attempt to build on it. You said it beautifully. Um, well, you, you, you had said that we were going to start with dancing and we didn't talk about that yet. So I, I want to bring you to that point where right before we had this call, I was out in the desert with my two dogs and we were talking about your, your friend's dog. Um, and if you watch dogs, they are happiest when they're outside. They love to be outside. They, they sniff smells. They are, their tails are wagging. So I, I've been doing this. I, I drive just one exit north and I'm out in the middle of nowhere. So I plug in David Bowie, ACDC, whatever, and I am dancing out there. I, I haven't been to the gym in I guess three or four months. And I mean, I don't know if you can see, but my body is in the shape that I was when 30, more than 30 years ago. Wow. From dancing under the, in the desert. Dancing, dancing. Mm -hmm. ah. And here's the thing about dance. Think about all the tribes, people of the world. Dance, Native Americans, they have ceremonies, they dance. Dance is like acupuncture for the earth. <laughs> You're dropping deep stuff now, Jennifer. I know. I know. Yeah, we, I love it. We switched from talking about codependency <laughs> at birth and healthy attachments <laughs> to now dancing to do acupuncture <laughs> to the earth. <laughs> I knew it was coming. This is why I couldn't wait to talk when I watch your videos in the <laughs> desert. And you're like, you are alive today. You are connected. And I'm like, I am. I am connected. I, You know, it's very moving that way. And we we may laugh in a response to what we talk about. And I, one of the most powerful moments in my entire life, Jennifer, was with my wife, Jennifer, um, in the Joshua Tree Desert where uh, we walked and hiked in the rain as it just sprinkled on us and beautiful, just choreographed amazingness. And we walked in there and then we found ourselves when, you know what, you know when the desert rains and then when it's done, how the sky just dances in all colors. Well, we danced with the sky when it danced after it rained in the desert and the Joshua tree. And so, like I said, we may laugh about these things, but I have to tell you, that's probably one of the most interconnected moments of my life because I was sharing real love with my wife. Like you said, we were giving acupuncture to the earth as it displayed this kaleidoscope of dance and life above us. And look, we may sound like two hippies in here right now talking, but I swear to God, if any of you listen, put yourself in that situation under the stars and under the desert and you dance, you may laugh too, because maybe laugh is a connection to the, that, that love memory. But uh, I, I connect with you there, you know? So I, I really do. Sorry, I, I just ranted but yes no it's but here's the thing is that today so many people they they're in their home they watch television now i don't even have cable i haven't had cable in over two years my daughter moved out i i canceled the cable before she moved out and you know netflix is about i watch comedians i don't watch the news haven't read the newspaper in 30 years and i certainly don't watch the news but so I live in a happy state. I am happy. I'm happy. I live alone in this wild wilderness. You know, it, it stick me anywhere and I will be happy. So that's the, that is the key. 
If you're happy with you, it doesn't matter where you are, you will be happy, whether you're alone or with other people. If you're complaining about the place you're in, it's you, not the place. If you're complaining about the relationship you're in, it's you, not the relationship. So this connection with the, with nature is important. We need, we need the sun to live without the sun. And I want you to, I'm, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about this, but talk to the sun, talk to the sun, talk to the moon, the stars. I talk to the plants. I tell them how beautiful they are. Unbelievable. The stuff you get back when you start to give and receive out in the, in nature. I, I had a landscape business in Georgia for 11 years for Heavenscapes. Talk about connection. So I connected with the earth, the rocks, the plants, and people are missing that today. So what I started to do was say they sit on their couch, they get in their car, they go to work, they walk to a building, they're inside all day, you know, if they're in working in a, for someone else, and then walk back to their car, they're not outside. And that is the, that is why people are depressed. They're not out in nature. And to Cure for depression. Vitamin D. Well, science will back you up. Dr. Rhonda Patrick will back you up 100%. And yeah. the idea that vitamin D that we get from the sun itself, you know, 15 minutes a day at minimum, but that feeds you. And all the studies they're doing that vitamin D affects gut bacteria, it affects gut health, which we know now is the second brain. Uh, we, I mean, all of that affects mood and mind. It's real. And look, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and speak for the naysayers that are listening to you that heard you talk about talking to plants and suns. All right. You know, their response is like Louis C.K.'s response when he talks about, you know, not watching TV. Ah, oh, fuck you. You're right. Because you hit their cognitive dissonance. You hit them, you know, right there at that weight. That's what I do. So you challenge my own value to date. And that's, you know, that's how I refer to concrete beliefs. If you find yourself responding in this concrete statement way, like, fuck you, or anything like that, <laughs> is I would urge you to challenge that because you're now forcing perceptions and trying to understand that idea. But I would urge that person for a moment to think, wouldn't it not be bad to be the person that can talk about living the life like that of going, I talk to plants and nature and I am connected to it as opposed to the one that's from the sidewalk to the office, to the parking garage, to the house, to the garage, to the couch. I mean, to be able to talk like that or live like that or believe like that to me, Jennifer, I see freedom in that. I see uh, spiritual openness in that. I'm, and it's no wonder you can talk about love fearlessly. You know, the Native Americans would be up at sunrise and they, they have many ceremonies based on sun and moon and that sort of thing. And, and not just the Native Americans, but other tribes people. And I wrote about it, actually. I, on my blog, I've got all kinds of resources about sex, addiction, depression, uh, cures for a lot of things that are natural. But Walking at sunrise is a cure for depression because those fresh beans early in the morning are so pure and being out there and connecting. I mean, God is everywhere. God is in the sun. So that's what I'm saying. If you start interacting, this is, yes, a holographic universe, but it's interactive. It's interactive. So if you want to have a 
bigger life, if you want to have a happier life, start interacting instead of being insular. Interact with, you know, the cashier. When you go to check out, do you look at her? Do you look her or him in the eyes and, and say thank you? Or are you on your cell phone while you're checking out? Disconnected. Now, most of the cashiers are on their cell phone. Not the ones that I see, but <laughs> no, but, but maybe that's my perception. <laughs> no, but I, I'm I'm just being negative. But I, I am that guy, though. My wife knows because she's more introverted and and opposite me completely, uh, except probably more on a we're pretty connected on a value moral basis. But you know, character wise or uh, personality wise, we could be opposite. But she knows that if I'm gonna get in an elevator with you and those doors shut and there's a person or twelve people standing in an elevator. This guy is not riding the elevator with 12 human beings that close to affection and connection. And I'm not saying a fucking word. I'm saying something. <laughs> I'm going to look at usually I started this little routine I do when I get in the elevator. I'm in elevators a lot because two weekends a, a month of my volleyball tournaments. But it'll close and I go, well, here's that awkward moment where humans stand next to each other and don't say a word. <laughs> and people will look at you kind of like, fuck you, dude. You know, and then some are like they laugh and then some are respond like, you know what? Yeah. You're right. Hi, how are you? We're not robots. And we all have to get out of that robotic existence. It's very easy to do to be robotic. But when we're robotic, we're shut down. Well, it's in our nature, right? It's in our nature to do behavioral patterns, to find behavioral patterns, to find shapes, and then process those routines. Uh, I mean, we're just out of, you know, evolving from, you know, something a little lesser than us. So we we mechanically and and cognitively operate even emotionally operate shit even nutritionally we operate on routines because we find ourselves comfortable in those routines but i think we have to find a way don't we in civilization to find a way to keep a balanced routine but at the same time have a routine set up for multiple expansion routines are important Self-discipline is also important. Mm. And I want to discuss this a little bit because everybody wants freedom, but you can't have freedom without self-discipline. And it sounds like a, a dichotomy. But, for example, if you want freedom in your health and not to be addicted to, you know, either prescription pills or, or even sick. You know, we, we have to go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time. That is self-love, but it takes discipline. When I didn't love myself and I was alone, I often would stay up till two, three in the morning. Then the next day I would try to sleep late and then I'd feel like I missed the whole day. So Having a routine is very important. Getting up at the same time, going to bed at the same time, having meals at the same time. Your body will respond more positively with a routine. Yeah, it sounds it's like... important. Man, we are vibed. You sure you haven't broken and read my book at all? Because I, <laughs> I, I talk about that. What you refer to is, you know, I talk about creating your healthy core routine, which is, you know, your nutrition, exercise, uh, um, diagnosis, treatments, and beliefs or spiritual essence. And treating those before you treat anything else, be that work or uh, jobs or responsibilities, you know, and keeping that healthy core structure focused in a routine. But outside of that, 
leave yourself open, but also schedule new experiences and times, you know, keep yourself balanced to that. That's kind of what I meant by having a routine, but leaving it open to vast, you know, reconstruction and expansion. Yeah, we do need to stay open, stay open to new experiences, stay open to new people, um, get outside of our comfort zone. Uh, one of the things that I started doing is cause I could be reclusive. I, I could, I live like a monk for, uh, you know, months at a time. And I was getting guidance to go to the dog park in, in the town south of me, Lancaster. And so I started going to the dog park and just in three visits, next thing I know, I was invited to a Super Bowl party. Uh, then everybody was going out to see a movie together. So we need community. It's important. Um, but we also need to get outside of our comfort zone. So if somebody offers you, uh, you know, an invitation to a party, maybe you wouldn't normally go, but why not go experience something different, experience new people. Uh, I, yeah, I'm for some reason I want to go into your psyche. I want to dive in and okay. there's a lot of women out there and men too. Like I, I, it's both, you know, that have experienced for marriages, for breakups, for cheatings, um, you know, for double crosses, 10 double crosses, you know, that uh, mm -hmm. may right now at this point be sitting in that alone recluse place. And I wanted to dive into you. What one, what was the darkest relationship moment for you out of the experiences? Mm -hmm. And how did you walk yourself out of that place? My third marriage was very abusive, and he reminded me a lot of my father, which is really interesting. Um, there was a period where we were losing our house. I had a house, and he insisted on building another one because he didn't like my house. And so we built this big monstrosity of a home, and he had guns. And I this was around the time that... Um, I'm trying to remember the comedian whose wife shot him while he was sleeping. Phil Do you Hartman. Remember? Phil Hartman. So it was around that time he had guns and I was afraid for my life that he would kill me while I slept. So I hid the guns. And I would say that was a, a very dark time. And how did I get out of it? It wasn't alone. Um, because when you're in an abusive relationship, you feel bad about yourself you feel like there's no way out. You feel like you have to stay. You don't feel good enough. Uh, you don't feel like you can take a risk. You're so afraid. And it was probably God-given that someone um, started calling me out of the blue from an ad and talking to me. And it was that. For, what, an ad? What, did you put out an ad for uh, well, I was doing healing in, in Georgia. This I was living in Georgia and I had an ad in a magazine about what I was, you know, the work that I was doing, energy clearings and, and that session work. Mm -hmm. And so they contacted me and just having discussions with somebody outside of my relationship, uh, because often when you're in an abusive relationship, you're isolated. You don't see family, you don't see friends and it's intentional so that you don't see the reality of your situation. So having somebody from outside my relationship talk to me, it gave me the courage that it, I remember it was Easter Sunday and he was very controlling 
And I just said, that's it. I, I can't do this anymore. And we ended up being friends actually after that. Okay. Now how years, it took years, it took years to get there, but we ended up being friends. I got to say now that itself leaving an abusive relationship is dangerous for one, but how in the hell did you then now become friends with someone that was such a struggle to get away from? It, it took time and I was doing serious introspection and, and self healing work. And, um, he was finally in a relationship with somebody, somebody else. And then we could relate because we, we had a daughter together. Mm. Um, so then, and I think the other thing was, is that I had the boundary that, you know, we're not crossing this boundary. I will not have sex with you. And, and so I set that boundary and, you know, we became friends after that point. Mm. That's that itself is powerful. So for anybody listening that imagine trying, gosh, I, whew, that that's got to be a tough mountain to climb. But it seemed more like a personal mountain you needed to climb more for for you to move forward than it was about anything else, really. In relation to that relationship, it has been said by gurus that you cannot be totally healed unless you've healed all your relationships. And so I have, you know, I've healed my relationships with my parents, with my abusers. I've forgiven all of those people. And if you're estranged from parents, you're not speaking to them because of what happened, what they did to you until you release that, you know, whatever it is that's the stigma to that relationship until you heal it and forgive completely, you're not healed. Mm. You can't. You can't cut that part of you out of your life. It, you can't do that. You, it's like cutting off an arm. You can't do it. You yeah. have to heal it. Yeah, that's that's a definite struggle with a lot of people, you know, because we connect it from divorce rates to you know parents leaving, separating, etc. That you you it almost builds a independence that kind of says, well, I don't, I can divorce my parents, right? I can divorce right. uh, those. Things. I don't need them. Yeah, yeah, and well, that's part of that personal power culture I was talking about is um, it is loading up the personal power fuel tank so much, making us forget how to share and love each other and be more accepting, accepting of one another. But but that personal power that you're talking about is false. It's not real. Mm. It, expand on that. Well, because that what you're talking about is actually egoic. You know, it's it's a to to excise parts of your life and you know cut off your parents and I I don't need them. That's all ego. And so where we need to go to is the heart. And you know we have to let go of that the suffering, the desire to suffer. Most people have a desire to suffer, and. And people really would freak letting out. go people of that, would, I'm I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah, people would freak out I'm, hearing that. The uh, the a the need to be right. I I would agree with you. We force that notion more okay. than we need to be rational. Um, and uh, I started to interrupt you. Keep going. Forget what I said. I'll find it. Well, I I guess you know that. Here's the thing that I'll say is that. Um, part of the process of healing your life, you may feel crazy. I know I felt crazy for a while 
And I've used so many different things. So what I'm kind of hearing, because I'm getting a sense that people are going to want to know, so what can they do to love themselves? What can they do to heal? Because it comes from our conscious thoughts, then, you know, dictate to our unconscious thoughts. Our, Our unconscious thoughts rule our world. It is the unconsciousness that connects us to source energy, the divine. It is our unconscious thoughts that attract often what we don't want to us because we're not aware of what's happening unconsciously. So part of the process that I use with my clients is I teach them mantras. And a mantra is just something that you use in your mind when you're in a state of worry your brain waves are spiky like this and anxiety, you know, and stress will affect the body. Well, a congruent brain wave is long and curvy and you can feel it because when I work with somebody doing energy healing, they, it's kind of like cough medicine for the brain. You know, that, that feeling of relaxation, you just kind of, everything just relaxes when the brain waves lengthen and become congruent through a mantra, you reprogram the brain. If you do it enough, like I love me or I am loved and you just repeat it over and over again. So all of those thoughts that are in the brain, I hate myself. I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy. Eventually you do that enough and it can be silently in the background of your mind. It reprograms the unconscious mind. Look, I'm a cognitive practitioner. What we talk about is changing beliefs. I, you know, I, I always I mentioned the idea of automatic thoughts. Automatic thoughts in our world have a negative connotation in psychology, counseling, etc., social work. That oh, you have it's actually a symptom you would check. Automatic thoughts, and I, I kind of used to say that. Hold on, I think automatic thoughts can be a good thing as long as the thought structure that we have is rational and positive and optimistic in outlook. So even on our psychology, side counseling side, we would agree with everything you said because it's about in those moments, right? If we want to control a feeling or a reaction like fear, uh, et cetera, or change a feeling, we have to be willing to change a thought. And we use thoughts right. to create feelings. And so that mantra is a steady, automatic thought of positivity and optimistic rationale that we repeat to ourselves that is dialogue that eventually does change feeling in the moment while over time changing a thinking pattern. Right. It affects the grooves in the brain. Mm. Uh, one of the one of the things that happens is you as children between the ages of 0 and 7 it's it's as if we're like a sponge so if we hear something often enough um and and money is is a big one right what what do you think money grows on trees <laughs> um turn that light off what do you think we're made of money right. you know you hear those things often enough Those are the things, the beliefs that program you into your adulthood unless they're changed. And it could be the same way with, it could be thoughts about not being good enough, not being pretty enough, not being intelligent enough, not being worthy. All of those are unconscious beliefs that cause our outer world to be negative. Preach on, Sister Masters. 
Uh, I mean, <laughs> preach on. You, you're a cognitive behavioral therapist. That's what you're. I mean, that's what you're doing. I mean, the beliefs is what we, is what you know we try to tap into as those types of practitioners. And most people are, we say are not aware of their concrete beliefs. Right? They may right. answer you if True. you you may ask them, "Hey, do you think life is fair?" And they respond by going, "Hell no." And then I go, "What? Well, then why do you ever get upset at life when life happens to you?" you must somewhere believe that life really should be fair. And so people become unaware of those concrete beliefs. And you spoke to it too. Our, our concrete or unconscious subcon- or subconscious beliefs, uh, we talk about stemming from our past experiences. So you mentioned certain words, phrases, moments. We go through those past experiences. That concretes our beliefs. And then we Manchurian candidate-like respond to immediate emotions as if they're fact. When truly feelings are not facts, and just because you think it, it doesn't make it so. But that being so, we can change what we feel by changing what we think. You're, this is we're not supposed to agree here, Jennifer, and we're agreeing on everything. <laughs> so, can we talk a little bit about food, Adam? Written right there for you, food. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see these scribbled to which notes that I'm having to make to clear up my conscience? Okay. Look, you're already awesome. you're already two pages of notes that we have to cover here. Well, I just may have to come back another time. Anytime, um, anytime. Food, food is important. So, <clears throat> when you love and value yourself, and everyone has value, everyone ha- is unique, and we are all created with our own unique gifts with our own unique talents, our own unique personalities. And it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. And when I got the the hit about 25 years ago that I needed to write a book about abuse, I was thinking, like, who's going to want to read that? Who's, you know, and, and I was told that that's what I would do is I was going to help people that were molested because I was. And, you know. You didn't share the darkest stories, Jennifer. I didn't. <laughs> but but here's the thing. 17 million men have been molested. One in six. Shit. And it's it's about one in four for women. Men are less likely to get help for it. And it ends up surfacing later in life as a real problem. It's like the reverse of rape. Most women are raped yeah. but are more likely to not report it. But you know what? Guys don't report the rape either, though. So you're right. It's, it stays. Yeah. It's wrong. It stays the same. You're right. The males, mm-hmm. don't, they don't report it. But and I know we were t- going to talk about food, and here I am talking about molestation. But but here's the thing: is that whatever happened in your childhood, if it hasn't been healed, it is still running your life unconsciously. So when we value ourselves and we value ourselves enough to take good care, and that's where I'm at. And I am fortunate enough to have had parents that you know we didn't have a lot of money growing up, which. You know, at that time, I didn't know the difference. You know, my mother made my own clothes. She'd buy stuff from thrift stores or people would give them stuff. And she'd remake, make beautiful clothes for me. All my clothes were handmade, beautifully, you know, beautifully crafted. But my my father had a garden. We always had a garden. We had fresh vegetables through the summer into the fall. We had baskets of apples in the root cellar. My dad made wine. Um, my mother made clothes and we never ate a lot of meat. If there were six of us, four of my, you know, there were four siblings, my parents, six of us, there'd be six pork chops, one per person. 
my mother always used to say, if you're, if you're hungry, eat bread. And <laughs> we had, we usually had four vegetables every single night. We had beets and carrots, green bees, beans, asparagus, peas, always lots of vegetables. And today, every day, I have a salad every single day. I dance every single day. And the food that I put in my body, now I have to say, I like chocolate, but I'm eating healthy, good food. Lots of fruit, lots of vegetables, and very little meat. I'm not a vegetarian, but I eat very little meat. Yeah, there's definitely that emergence happening. It's spreading all over. You, you're actually, I think, there's this divide almost happening. You're seeing the emergence of hunting and outdoors again. You're seeing that come back. But then you're also seeing this emergence of the separation from meat eaters and vegetarians, et cetera, omnivores mm-hmm. even. Right. But this clear division is starting. It's very small. Still vegetarians, like I said, are still 10 percent of, of the country. So, you know, but it does evolve. But, you know, that environment coming up one as you're talking about, it, I'm like, oh, yes, I, I, I could live like that. You know, I could. I could be there, you know, and coming up in that type of environment had to be, you know, now we're now we're on Freud here. We've now we've jumped from cognitive people to Freudian (laughs) here talking about the subconscious actually earlier about the subconscious. But even now of relating, you know, childhood moments and ideas and experiences uh, into our now and trying to process that. And you were connecting that with food. So um, please continue. Well, okay. well, here's the thing about food. My mother was an orphan, and so um, food was very important to her. And so for our birthdays, you know, she always cooked our favorite food. We didn't eat prepared food. To this day, I don't buy anything that has ingredients in it. Did you you hear him again? It was the same people that responded to you when you said you cut the cable. What's that? <laughs> I think I was being, you know what? Oh, I, they, oh, they were yelling. Were they yelling in the background? Yeah. Oh no, no, no craft dinner, no, no McDonald's, no Jack in the box. No, I, I still can't remember though. I got to remember my rule. All right. Note to self, Adam, no slide in really shitty jokes on virtual podcasts because you and I have about a two second delay between delay. what I'm saying. Yeah, it's terrible. I did it on the last podcast, and the jokes come out terrible. I look, I'm no comedian, I guess, so I'm, I'm just going to quit with that shit. Um, you know, I'm, we, we were you were staying on the food part and the importance of you know that being a part of someone's life, and I think you were you were going to connect that to something. Maybe I don't know. Well, well, yes, food. So we'll eventually get there. Food and love. So so when you love yourself, you eat food that is going to perpetuate a healthy body that is going to feed your soul that is you know so you know you you eat things that you know are good for you and but but you know food has food has energy and so because i'm a psychic i can look at food like mexican food i don't eat I don't eat fast food. I very rarely eat in restaurants unless it's like an organic juice bar or something like that. It's hard It's um, hard to eat out when you're trying to eat healthy like that. Well, I, I had a date actually about a, a month or so ago and we went to this Korean place and the food tasted wonderful, tasted wonderful. Well, I got home and I had a whopping headache and I don't get headaches, not anymore. 
And, and I also don't take anything. I don't take prescriptions. I don't take over-the-counter meds. I, I just, I don't. You know, my kids smoke the green stuff. I don't do that. It, it just... I'm, I'm vibrating at a higher rate as it is, and I think pot just brings me down, so I don't smoke oh, it. I am cracking <laughs> up. You, <laughs> Jennifer, you just went mom on me. That was awesome. <laughs> I don't smoke the green stuff now. I've said, man, Jennifer just went spirit. Wait, we can acupuncture the earth with our feet, but yet the natural existence doesn't bring you to a higher vibration. <laughs> oh no i mean i i the pot i mean i'm not saying that i won't ever smoke it but you know i'm like have you met I'm your like, have you met your son yeah you will <laughs> well i have to say you know to be i have to be honest with you i told you i can't lie so my 19 year old daughter when Adam and myself and his girlfriend were at the beach in Florida, my very favorite place is uh, south of St. Augustine, Crescent, Crescent Sands. Mm -hmm. So we were sitting on our little porch and our neighbor offered us a joint. And of course we all said yes. And my daughter came out and I abstractedly went here. And she, I think she was 15 at the time. So she had her first joint with her mother. <laughs> oh man. Wow. I can I can hear him now. Can you hear the conservative? Can you hear the conservative right wing that listens to this show now? Yes. Oh, man. So, well, I have to be honest. Now, I don't smoke it now, but you know that that was a vacation. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not saying I won't ever again. It has its time and place. And and you know, I I'm an advocate of the Foria sexual lubricants supposed to be really great hey you know what you're this 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 is weird watch this advice i'm talking to the mom too this is so weird i adam gave me wonderful sex advice with coconut oil and wow was that motherfucker right yes it's good yeah it was a tip yeah so I, was that what yeah. you were referring to when you were talking about yeah, that? yes yes coconut oil you know i recommend it for a lot of different things it helps us lose weight it's good for inflammation. And, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, we want to avoid is inflammation. So white bread, that's why, you know, fast food restaurants are so bad because of the white bread that most of the sandwiches are created on. Yeah, and that, and there's, and that walking meat or whatever that is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's So I talk about coconut oil in my book, Orgasm for Life. All right, let's go there. Okay. All right. Uh, now, I haven't had a chance to obviously read it, but um, I don't know if I should have read it before I talked to you anyway. It would be all vivid and shit. No, but... Uh, <laughs> you might not be able to look at me the same way. That's what I'm saying. I'm telling you right now. Well, since you can't lie, I, I do want to skip over it. Was the date any good? The date? It, it. We had a nice time. We have very different core values oh you're Excuse done me. that doesn't work <coughs> no <laughs> thank you she really doesn't lie you see that all right no <laughs> well um... and, and it had to do with spiritual beliefs you know i'm very spiritual um and and he was very christian 
Now, you know what? It, beautiful topic. I love it. So it, it, explain that because even the word spiritual can become vague. I, I see there's a reason spiritual kind of took the place of being religious, etc. And you do see that movement. And actually, it's a podcast I'm doing next week is talking about this emergence that you see from this new spiritual slash to sum it up. It would be like God is real and religion is bullshit, right? This that type of culture you see beginning to kind of emerge somewhat. So what's to you, what is the definition of spirituality uh, in, in your version? Okay, spirituality is a connection, your own divine connection with source energy, who, whoever your divine is. And it's a real relationship, like a friend. It's a close relationship, excuse me. Yeah, I would have I would have definitely <laughs> I unplugged myself. Nice one. Pardon me? No, no worries. I I go ahead. You were saying about a um connection oh, there. Okay, and and God is everywhere. God is everywhere. It's in the rock. God is in the rocks, the streams. Wow. Yeah, you swallowed the tea wrong. I noticed you when you sipped it. I've done the you know how many times I've done that with my coffee? When I'm trying to about, I'm about to talk and I sip some coffee and then I go into this wrong hole approach, wrong hole approach, and I'm not talking sex. <coughs> Sorry. You know, the best thing that I always say when I'm struggling, I'm go, all right, stop, take a giant breath and get the one giant cough out so that water gets out of the throat. Uh, <laughs> now, now I'm crying. <clears throat> so, um, spirituality also these days is referring to oneness. That you and I are one, uh, we're brothers and sisters. We're all brothers and sisters of light, that uh, we're all connected. And <clears throat> when everyone realizes that we're all connected, then how can we be enemies? How can there be hate? Because we see the God in each other. And it's not that we are gods, but we have that spark of God in us. Well, you know, a lot of all, a lot right? of yeah, a lot of Christians would tell you what that God is love, right? And yes. if God is love, and that is our innate nature, and you believe that, and that's how we—I mean, if you ask me, our love and connectedness, I think, is how we became the ruling species to a point, right? Is that ability to reason, to love, and to work together? Uh, and you talked about the spirituality idea of being a relationship or a friendship when. It's more of a master servant side on that religious inclination uh, with religious inclinations. Well, there's a lot about the money there too. Um, <clears throat> God doesn't need money. What God wants is your gratitude. Where religion is all about, you know, where's the money? You know, you 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 know tithing to the church or whatever yeah tithing's ritualistic and, behaviors to a point uh -huh. of, of of yeah yeah and and dogma mm. and you know religious dogma so um i have a very close you know spiritual connect i have a very deep connection with the divine and so for me to have a relationship with a man that that is the number one thing. We have to be in agreement. Now you could be a Buddhist, you could be Hindu. That's fine. Uh, you know that would work for me too. So I'm I'm open in that, but I don't have a religion. My, I you know I, and I honestly believe that's what we're moving to 
is that there's no religion, that everyone has their own connection. That's, hey, look, I'm going to scream a little uh, Marley, man. Love is my religion, right? And you, sorry for those listening for that terrible singing voice. But I mean, (laughs) but you do, you like we talked about, you see that emergence of the almost the letting go of religion, but still this belief in a, a, a something greater and a shift toward that as if people are seeing the falsehoods in some religions and some not etc i'm i'm not here condemning any religion or anything else because you know the truth is a lot of us don't know we don't know anything right. you know and i i like though how you referenced the idea of it's more like a friendship and that connection i, I there's a small portion of my book where i refer to spirituality uh, is about being the essence of who you are the essence of uh, how you're connected with the world and others and um and how many people uh, kind of forget about that spiritual idea, but um, oh, I was trying to connect it. <laughs> uh, I'll move forward to the second point. I'll go back to what I say, man. I, my mind races, but um, a lot of people that experience psychedelics that come out of uh, any kind of transcendence type, you know, psychedelic state. I've heard a lot that come out and say a very similar statement that, you know, religion is not real. God is real and religion is bullshit in some sense. And you see that evolution going there. I'm trying to pull myself back, Jennifer. Bear with me. Well, because religion was created by man, not God, right? Man created religion. Just definitely a social construct we pulled out of mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's really what's really interesting. I'm just kind of I'm, I'm chuckling to myself because I mentioned orgasm for life, and then we ended up talking about God. So let's bring God into sex. All right, every Christian that was listening just hung up, canceled, and backed out. There we go. So who created sex anyway? Right. How? Yeah, how do we reproduce? Yeah, I got you. And it is meant to be sacred. Our bodies are sacred. We're, we are meant to hold our, ourselves in, in this divine connection, believing that we are sacred, you know, valuing our life our bodies treasuring it to the point where so so i don't i don't put myself in harm's way i feed my soul and when it comes to sex it is a spiritual experience an extension of the love that between two people connecting the soul and the divine in the expression the expression of love so when people say I saw God or oh God oh God where does that come from That's it's weird. it is weird. the closest that we can be to God is at that moment of orgasm through yes through that connection I man you bring up so many points when you just go off on your little mini rampages the <laughs> you know we look look how teaching abstinence for sex has worked you know what I mean it doesn't right it's this natural it urge in existence, and I have a question written here, which you started to answer, which I was going to show you. Is okay. Um, I, I'm going to get to that little question, but it's funny you say that same phrase because I'm very open with my 16 year old daughter about the real things of life, sex, and primal pulls and uh, hormones, etc. We we stay open, and um, I think that's what you got to do. So uh, as you talk about those. The the best way I've tried to educate it has not been just say no, okay? I've not followed the dare approach either with drugs or with sex because I promise you that doesn't work. Abstinence and preaching it, 
education and a relay of the existence of it, the acknowledgement of it, the acknowledgement of those natural desires for it. But when we talked about it, it was two. I used what you said is it is a spiritual connection. It's a sharing between the two, because if you take the affection, the spiritual connections out of that, what are you doing? You know what I mean? What are you really doing? You're just pounding yourselves on. It's very animalistic, if you will. If you remove the love and affection, the respect, the connection there. And I used to make the same correlation when I ran nightclubs is I go, what would we really be doing crammed in this building if we turn the lights on and took the alcohol away and turn the music off? What the fuck is happening? Right. It's like a fucking weird rub on each other orgy in, in a dark room. Right. It's weird. And so without those, I don't know, without without our human ability to be able to connect on deeper levels of whether it's spiritual or whether it's whatever somebody wants to say, fear or whatever. I mean, that's how I educated my daughter on it. That's how I talked to her about it is you are you. I think you share a piece of yourself. You leave a piece of yourself each time. And you can lose a piece of yourself each time the more that you spread that around. And sure, there's deniers here that go, look, sex is sex and it's fun and whatever. But I would urge you to say, when's the last time you had fun sex without alcohol or some sort of enhancement? <clears throat> that leads me to, doesn't, I was wondering. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm any, I, doesn't mean I'm any I, better I than anybody else out there. Nope, something was said. <laughs> I had to get it. Yeah. <laughs> Should I hold it up again? Yeah. Oh, your book. Yeah. Let me stop talking so it'll yeah. frame. Hold it up a little bit. Oh, you got to say something so the camera comes back to you. Okay. This. So this is Orgasm for Life. It is my 40 years of experience or more, actually more than that, of truth, uh, sex, love, connection, and it will help men and women both communicate in a more balanced and loving way. Pick up the book, Orgasm for Life. Now, our, you know, I got to make, I couldn't help it as I read through it and I went, did somebody write Fifty Shades of Grey before Fifty Shades of Grey? I, I don't know. What do you mean? Oh, I, I was I was comparing God, my jokes. There I went again with some <laughs> shitty joke over a virtual podcast. Fuck. You guys got to help me out. Listeners, damn it. Tell me what the shitty jokes. No, I was I was trying to refer to the detail to which the novel or the life revelations are. In, in Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, I didn't read it, but my 90, my mother did. No, what? she's <laughs> she said it was very poorly written. <laughs> yeah, I've heard mixed emotions. I haven't read it either. I only knew the, the talk about it. So my idea was, did somebody write that book before somebody wrote that book? And uh, yeah. as I read the synopsis of your book, it's what I'm trying to get to. It seems very open and very direct about what you experienced, what you tried, yes. what you thought, etc. And that's kind of what I was referencing is. How graphic or comparison, revelation? Give me something from the book, man. Oh, well, let's see. I I talk about um, gripping the windowsill of life or um, living fully. And I talk about how uh, would you like to live your life with regret, thinking about the guy that you didn't bang or the girl that you didn't, uh, for whatever reason, 
or do you want to live fully without regret? And so I talk about, I talk about that. I talk about how I had a lover die right after sex. Oh, what? Yes. Uh, please. Can we go there? Okay. Well, and I do talk about it in my first book. I talk about the relationship. We were together deeply in love, deeply in love, very connected. Uh, you could call it a twin flame relationship. I read his mind and he would tell me, "Get, please get out of my mind because I would know exactly what he was thinking before he said. Anyway, we had three months together. He lived in Sedona. I was in Georgia. We were together maybe a total of six weeks. And he came to visit me in January. We had three days together and, and, um, I was all dressed up in a beautiful bustier with stockings and everything. And we made love in my living room and he, he sat up and we were on my couch. He sat up. He said, I love you. I'll never leave you. And he slipped off the couch and he was gone. Holy shit. I'm left speechless to the response to how does that feel? What is that? What, what, what did you well, think? What did you, how? Do... I mean, I try, I did, I tried to resuscitate him, but I knew he was like, he was just not there because he, he urinated right away. And, um, I called the, I called the paramedics and they came and, oh, they, the looks on their faces, I mean, they were all just like, holy cow. They, they felt really bad, really, really bad for me. Um, it, it, it's, it's been nine years now since that happened. But I will say, you know, that relationship changed my life, obviously, in so many ways. I mean, even before, knowing he was gone, you know, nobody has measured up since him. It, because we had such a deep connection, such a, we were connected like deeply on our soul level, on our soul level. I, I, I couldn't imagine one that just yeah. happening if it was a random person, much less mm. have this um, connection in six weeks um, that just sets off. Uh, well, I think we've all been in a relationship like once maybe in our lives to where it just sets off like wildfire and everything is just connected and uncontrollable and it just seems perfect. And I couldn't imagine topping that experience with that type of connection at the same time. I, 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 I can't even tell you, I've heard some, some stories in my therapeutic career. And that one I have to tell you is the first time. I, what did you do? It's, it's, how did, how, I mean, I understand it takes years. I mean, I, I, how long did that really affect you? I mean, what, was it difficult to have sex the next time with anybody? It, it was, it was very difficult. And because of the connection that we had, you know, it's, I, I okay. So I have, I have a theory that everything that happens in our life, that there's two things that we need to look at. And it could be a really bad experience. There's a gift and there's a lesson. So the gift for me was that this gentleman, John, showed me what true love, true love and acceptance, because he accepted me for who I was. That was my gift. So I recognized that was real love. And then everything else is compared against that. 
And so I recognized that the relationships I'd had prior to this weren't real love. I wasn't really accepted. You know, often I see this in my practice where a woman marries a man because he's exactly the opposite of her father and then spends the next 25, 26 years trying to make him like her father. You know, we try to change the people that we love when we need to love them the way they are. So that's what he taught me is that we need to need to love each other as we are rather than try to change each other. And then he also taught me that it's the small things that matter. He gave me gifts, you know, like a, um, a blue heron feather, a Herkimer diamond, um, things from the earth, you know, rather than material things, because it, the material means nothing. It, it really doesn't mean anything. So gifts of the heart are more important. Yeah, I, I, I think our, our time and our experiences are, are our life's currencies. And if, you know, those six weeks sounds like a wonderful exchange of every currency that exists in what relationships are and could be. And I, I can't help but wonder how difficult it may be experiencing something so blissful and unreal almost in six weeks on the impact that had on, you know, anyone measuring up to that connection. And I wonder how much of that story has become the fuel behind your Aphrodite effect or that fuel behind, um, you know, that, that need to, to, and to empower people that have experienced loss and that want love. You know, that, that's a really good point because, you know, the, he, he was, um, he was white, but he followed the, um, the red road, the native American path. He was a pipe carrier. He was a geologist and he found a pipe when he was on a dig, this native American pipe he found, he took it to this Anishinaabe chief and the Anishinaabe chief said to him, that is your pipe. This is your path. And so he went and studied with this man for eight years. And, and so he had this, you know, following in Sedona. Anyway, he taught me a lot about a lot of things. And he's the one that taught me about the acupuncture for the earth. So every day when I'm dancing out in the desert, you know, there's this memory of John coming back. So, you know, we're all interconnected. When we're connected with someone, there's always going to be some form of a connection. When we have sex with someone from for men, there's a heart tie. So between you and your lover, there's a tie that joins you together unless you pull it and release it, release it with love. And women have a sexual tie. So, you know, if you don't pull those ties from past lovers, you're continuing to leak energy out there to them. Kind of like uh, what we did for Howie Dog last night. We released the energy with love through flame up into the yes. up into the sky. And when you start talking Native American, remember you were, uh, maybe you did research, but you're talking up my alley. And you know I was on two year walkabout, went out to the Acomo mm -hmm. Pueblo in New Mexico, and spent some time on the res there, and had some powerful spiritual moments on on my spiritual rampage is what I call it in the book is I had a spiritual rampage before the cognitive rampage uh, transpired. And so when you talk about the red path, I make uh, jokes that my brother did in front of a congressman. He was one of the first 
mixed breeds to be on the Native American Economic Council. And he spoke in front of senators and all, and he said that um, many people call it red tape, but we like to call it white tape. And yeah, the sen- the senator's reactions to that. But so I understand to a point, uh, not his path, but I understand the, the, the path of the, the red road, the path of being connected to Mother Nature and Father Sky and trying to find that connection, which we started off is what I think too agree with you is lacking in our society today is that connection to the all things natural around us the natural synergy of everything that exists in nature, including the natural existence of love. And like I had to circle back, sending Howie off in that way of love and smile being the song that we played. Um, for you, uh, if you share, you don't have to because it's spiritual. I don't share all of mine, but you, would you mind talking maybe about how your spiritual send off with love transpired? Oh, (laughs) it's interesting. Um, I have had some mystical experiences. I had one with him prior to his death. Um, And I'm going to share this because it's it's important to the story. Um, I was driving. We had gone to see Stone Mountain together. This is my daughter, he and I. We had a really strong connection, the three of us. And my daughter actually remembered a past life with him. Interesting, right? Next show. Yeah. Okay. So uh, while I was no, you, driving, you can say I started... what you want. That was sorry. That was just a bad joke. You say whatever you want to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I only assumed that we would open up another Pandora's box there within okay. another multiverse if we went there. That's what I meant by that. Sorry. Probably so. Well, let me just cut it short and say that I... You don't have to. Please. I want to know it all. I want to know how you really did that. Okay. So while he was still alive, we took this trip to Stone Mountain. We we went up the mountain and walked down. And then I I had my pickup truck, my landscape truck. And I'm driving. And all of a sudden, I start to feel dizzy. And now I have to say this man, very powerful man. um, And I'm sure that my energy was raised. You know, when you're with somebody who has a higher vibration than you, it raises, you have to raise your, your vibration. You have to. So he raised my vibration. Well, I started feeling like I was doing somersaults, not like spinning this way. Like when you're drunk, it was like flipping over this way. And, and I had to pull over and that happened. So when when he was being cremated, I was the only one there. And I sang, I played his drum, and um, it, it, was a, it was a very moving experience. I mean, I cried. And then I got into my truck, and on my way home, I had another one of those dizzy experiences. And I call it a it, – it's a type of – the Native Americans actually refer to it. You may know of it. It's, it's, I think it's called the partridge or something. It's like a, it's like a dance. It's like the spirits are spinning your soul and you feel it. So I, I know I was being altered. So I had to get out of my car and, and I couldn't even walk. I was so dizzy. So the experience of being there at his cremation and doing that ceremony for him. It, it, it changed me. 
it was a, a very intimate experience. Uh, so having but, a real, think, what some people refer to it as closure, but I like the idea of a spiritual send off or a, a, a happy let go or something. Mm -hmm. I like that better mm -hmm. than closure personally, because mm -hmm. closure refers to the relationship ending and not redefining. I mean, we had, we had a ceremony, uh, the whole group that, that knew him. We did a ceremony after that. Um, and I also went to Sedona for another ceremony, but you know, the one that was the most memorable was the one I had by myself. That, yeah. That was your yeah. release that, you know, yeah. we're, we're sharing and, uh, it, man, they, these are powerful, Jennifer, everything that you're sharing and talking to people in some way, I know somebody could, it will relate and has related you know, all over the world and people that you've touched with the blogs that you do and, and what you speak of and, you know, sharing your vulnerable moments like that with the world is, is brave. And that's why I think, or I was asking is how much do you think that, you know, some would refer to that as a major valley in their life, but how much would you say that, you know, that valley really has pushed this Aphrodite effect has pushed this empowerment of finding real love and et cetera. Are, are you extending his message? Like how much of, of that created this maybe is what I'm saying. Oh, he had a huge impact on me, my life and the work I do. There's no doubt. And, you know, I still talk to him. You know, I, I do. I, I call him, him in when I need help. And, you know, there are times that I, you know, I, I ask for his advice. Uh, the Aphrodite effect has probably a lot, I would say 50% to do with John. What? Yeah. How could it not? What is the, right. yeah. What's the Aphrodite effect? I love the name, by the way. It's, well, well, Aphrodite is the God, goddess of love, the Greek goddess of love, like Venus is, is the uh, Roman goddess of love. And Aphrodite was was a goddess that knew her power she had this incredible beauty and power and she knew you know she knew who she was and she she was ageless so i look at myself as you know i, I will never have a facelift i am happy the way i am you know and comfortable with myself in my aging form you know and you know probably still look pretty good for my age. I, I think I do. Um, so it's about ageless beauty. The more you love yourself, the more graceful you age. So, you know, age is just a number. It's, it's all about that power of love and recognizing your own innate power. It's like, you know, my next question, because you answer it in a cliff notes version before I get to ask it. And then I find myself having to restructure my next question. So I don't ask the exact, this is why you get the, a, the elongated questions because you kind of, you, because you answer it. And so let me see if I can extend your, your cognitive rampage by, um, asking you maybe a two part question, which you, you answered is, um, what would you say to that that 22-year-old you, that 25-year-old you? What advice would you give her? And then can you walk that into the person that you are now and the advice that you would give to a woman or a man who potentially has given up on love or connection? To the 22-year-old me. 
who was motivated by fear. I wish for her to be fearless, to have my veracity, to have my passion for life that's fearless. Because when we're fearless, we're more apt to risk and we're more apt to really step into that void and know that we're going to be supported out there, that, you know, it's okay to leap. And leaping actually is what our soul longs for. And for the 50, 60-year-old, the one who feels heartbroken and feels like they'll never have love, it's never too late. It is never too late. And you're never too old to love, be loved, to receive love, and to risk it all for love. It's never too late. And so to you, I say, take that leap and have the faith to know that love is out there. And the more you love you, the more you attract it in. Now that is probably the most peaceful and loving cognitive rampage that has ever been given on the cognitive rampage. (laughs) You're radiating your vibes to me virtually, which has me now not even cognitively rampaging, but yet (laughs) speaking like... uh, (laughs) That's awesome, Adam. So can we talk a little bit about the, the interesting events that how I got on your show your name's Adam. My son Adam was on your show. Yeah, we can talk. Adam. You are the okay. show, so we can talk about <laughs> anything you want to talk about. We can. It doesn't matter. I'm open. You're you're the experience giver and the competence lender here. So, or the experience okay. lender and the competent giver. Okay, so I I just want to affirm to everybody that there's no accidents. When things happen, they were meant to happen. There's no accidents. So my son, Adam, was on Adam Lowry's show. And I, what was the movie with uh, Mike Lowry? Which bad, one was bad that? Boys. Bad Boys. That's bad my, Boys. That's my old street okay. name, man. Mike Lowry. That's what they used to call me. <laughs> well, and, you know, my kids and I watched Bad Boys together. And they, David and Adam used to play with them. Mike Lowry. My name's Mike Lowry. And so then when I heard that you were Adam Lowry, it's like, no shit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when you messaged to me and you said, my son, David, my, and I went, wait a minute. My dad's name is David. My, I'm Adam. And I, I was like, all right, now is there a Leanne around? Is there a Davis around? What's going on here? You know, it was, it was connections and you, there's so many and, you know, you bring my rampage out, girl, here it comes, is that, you know, the world speaks to us. And I sound crazy sometimes when I talk to people or whatever, even though crazy is a bad word, that if you just listen, that the universe will speak to you, sometimes through music and through moments. If you mm-hmm. if you ask the universe a question or maybe pause in a thought that you can't finish, be aware of around you. Sometimes a radio station will finish your thought for you or a, an animal's reaction will, 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 will let you know what to do even or a passerby's look. 
I mean, if you're focusing and you're tapped into that vibe, you you can feel that. I know it sounds weird, hippie, whatever and whatever, but look, there is no reality. There are no beliefs. And if you're if you're willing to believe in the idea of love, which is intangible and you can't see, if you can at least believe in the idea of love, then I urge you to try to convince yourself or question the idea that why can't I believe in a tapped-in universe and a plugged-in world of synergy and acceptance, forgiveness, love and help because i mean woo we got to make that transition and, and frankly i th- i learned last night i was hit with it i've been nervous and scared about all the things i've learned in this this world about what's happening politically uh and, and major landscapes across the globe but for some reason something hit me last night and was like it's already over. The, the the darkness is lost. The generations below us, my daughter and her generations below them, they get it, I think. I think it's I think it's seeded and it's just gonna take some time and it's gonna take some evolutionary warriors like you and Adam and me and and Andrew and, and hell all everybody else that I, I believe in like that that are evolutionary warriors that are the go betweens between the people and the species we are now and the species and the people that we will become. Amen. <laughs> Oh, thank you. See, your energy, I'm telling you, we connected on that vibe. You called me to my center place. Then when I found it, boom, I got delivered a nice, beautiful cognitive flow state rampage. That's the shit I live for. Very nice. Oh, no, very thank, nice. Thank you, you know, you, you mentioned music, and music is very important. Uh, meditation is very important. And, you know, getting still and quiet and and. How, the only way the universe can talk to us is if we can be in stillness and quiet. But if we're, you know, playing too much in our head and we're not listening, we can ask and we'll get the message. It may not be the answer that we're looking for, but asking, we will get a message. But it can change you. It can touch your soul. It can move you. Um, I listen to a song. Um, my daughter has her iTunes on my computer and this song, my cat was laying across the keyboard and, you know, no accidents played this song. Well, the song moved me to tears. It, it, it wasn't my kind of music, but it was my daughter's and it connected me on this deep level to her. So music will touch our soul faster than anything. I couldn't agree with you more. I was, I'm an old DJ guy. I'm, I mean, I love everything of music. And for me, like I said on the show, everything's better with a soundtrack. And I, I think if we can look for, <laughs> if we can look for life's soundtracks, it doesn't always have to come from music. The soundtracks can come from people's advice or help, uh, or, or even feelings and touching, like you said, you know, and, I think that was that's a huge takeaway, I think, from talking with you here is for people to really try to remember to touch the ones you love and say hello to a stranger and to connect those vibes and those energies rather than than wall off. Well, and and just, you know, a touch on the shoulder, you know, our teenagers, you know, may oh like dad, you know, don't kiss me or don't, you know, but a touch on the shoulder, a touch on the hand doesn't have, I mean, we need to touch each other outside of the bedroom. You know, women want to be touched in non-sexual ways. I'm sure men do too, to let each other know that we're appreciated. Yeah, I I think we, I I couldn't, I couldn't agree 
more with you, Jennifer. We are going to do this again. And how are even stories aligned about how we got on the show? I, I love talking to you. You you give me this positive vibe when I get off. It's a place I it's a place I needed to to you know I don't know. I'm extending into last night's spiritual realm. I think that's why I was so excited and rambled a few times getting to talk to you. You know, is I knew I knew some vibration was going to happen. You know, I knew I knew it was going to get iry. If you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I love the way we we end up coming full circle. Um, we're all spiritual beings. And it doesn't matter whether you believe you are or you aren't. We're all spiritual beings and we're having a human experience. So the more that we tap into the spiritual aspect of our soul, the happier that we are. Without it, you'll feel lost. There you go again. I was going to ask the question, what's your life philosophy? And you answered it before I could ask it. (laughs) Stop reading my mind here. (laughs) When's your birthday, Adam? You tell me. <laughs> well, I, I see this Leo sitting on your desk, so I, you know. But um, actually, you... um, the that was a gift from my grandmother for Christmas, carved out. Okay. You know, how, like grandmas get you the all cool things. Um, I am most definitely, and by um, all regards, into the uh, astrology world. If people tap into that, I I do and I don't. It's it's I, I play with it. You never know, right? But I uh, I would be what they define as a Gemini. But given a Tuesday, you could probably read me Leos, and I may sound like that too. <laughs> you know, and if you didn't tell me which one I was and read it, I may say, yeah, yeah, that's me too. You know, but uh, I don't know. My wife would definitely tell you I ha- there are two of me. You know, there's the, the definitely yeah. So May twenty ninth, nineteen eighty one. You and Adam got along very well. He's a Gemini too. Yeah, I think him and I cultivated yeah. that idea when we were chatting. I uh, he's fun as shit yeah. to talk to, man. He uh, I'm surprised his uh, blog isn't being hit more because the dude is fucking hilarious. I mean, he's got a lot of followers as it is, but I'm in in the million range. You know what I mean? Because he's that's it, it, what got me. You know, I don't chase people to be on the show or ask him to be based on followership, based on millions of books sold. Um, I'm, I'd, I'd love those people for sure, but those people are talking to a lot of people already. And for me, it's about finding those unsung authentic gems that are left hidden out somewhere in the desert. And, and, <laughs> and I found two in Adam and in, in you. So, uh, you know, that approach is working, you know, is of trying to, to find those and while I'm on it, I will put out there for those listening. If you missed my, uh, last post on the blog, the all month of April, uh, cause we're booked out for March. We have another 18 podcasts in March to go. And so in April, rather than getting ahead and booking people, I'm asking if anybody thinks that they live in a cognitive rampage or they have a cognitive rampage or know someone that lives a cognitive rampage and has transitioned to something of serving others and something that's this powerful and inspirational, et cetera, or loving. If you know them, email me, let me know, because I want to make the month of April about listeners, about you, what you want to know. Hell, email me some shit you want to learn, and I'll try to find somebody uh, that can teach us together. So, but if you, And if you want to be on a podcast out there, if you're out there and think you got a cognitive rampage to say, email me. We'll put you on the show. And for me, that's what I like doing when I find a guy like Adam who leads me to a, a woman like you uh, and who knows where we'll get off the, off this podcast and talk a little longer about where you may lead me to. But, um, 
Yeah, I, like I said, I found two gems in, in both of you, and you did a good job raising that uh, that that, y- that the young man there. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Raising kids, I believe, is probably the most challenging thing that we do in our life, raising children, because there's a tremendous responsibility. You know, you you want to instill your kids with confidence. You you want to teach them moral values. You want to teach them what's important. And then you want to let them go and have them fly. And when you say it's the hardest, I I, I lean toward that being so to a point because, I mean, how many parents, including myself, I'm guilty. We all do it, uh, I think, to a level of we enforce our own little corrupted beliefs and perceptions about what things are. And we force them down the throats of our young ones and say, now go believe as I believe, go do as I as I do, etc., when, you know, it's, it is such a responsibility, you know, I think to, to raise a child because you're leaving one behind and hopefully one better than you and not you, but it's like parents try so hard to make their kids them. Well, yes, that, that's very true. And what I, what I will say is that once our children become adults, I, I no longer refer to them as children, they're adults. But recognizing that they're going to go off and make their own decisions and choices about mates. And we as parents, we we have to just allow them to do so and be open to whoever they choose rather than try to to say, well, I don't think she's good for you or I don't think he's good for you. Because I think that's a huge mistake, having done that in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. We, we 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 all do. I think we 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 think we're doing what's good for them, right? We're going, hey, we're doing what's good. I'm I'm being the parent I never got, and I'm like, there's your answer right there, buddy. You know, you're you're, you're trying to raise yourself again instead of the idea of going, look, let them evolve and experience and believe. And it's hard, right? Because we do. We push our own little things on them. We It's hard not to judge or enforce. But I think the harder you try to squeeze that square into a circle, I think the worse response you get. You know what I mean? Well, yes. And that's, that's when we end up with uh, disengaging you know, in our relationships that you may not hear from your kids for a while if if you try to push your beliefs down their throats. They have to have their own experience. Yeah, and that's, and that's difficult. And, I mean, heck, you could, I'm sure, correlate that to, uh, let's say, a, a child or a, a young girl or a boy that's raised in an environment where the beliefs are shoved down their throat and how they take that into their relationships, how they take that into defining themselves, their self-esteem, or the type of love they deserve. Right. I, I like to right. say one of my favorite lines is, uh, we accept the love we think we deserve. It, you know, it's interesting. When people have been wounded, like terribly wounded in, in childhood, then there is a resistance to receive love. And I just want to bring this up because uh, I see it all the time. I, I was like that myself, where somebody would say, I love you, and I wouldn't believe it because I didn't, you know, I didn't have it within me. So somebody telling me that they love me, I, I, I couldn't receive it. So that, that's what I'm saying about that. If we don't give it to us, then we can't receive it. We can't, we won't feel beautiful when somebody says, Oh, you're beautiful because we don't believe it. 
So we, we have to buy and drink our own Kool-Aid before somebody's going to join us and drink it with us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That agrees. You know, I think it's true. We, we do accept the love that we think we deserve and we set our principles, I think, based on that. Um, you know, I, uh, there's two books my mother said that changed her life when she was dealing. We talked about two things, anger and codependency and two books. She adamantly says changed her life. The first one was the, uh, the dance of anger. Oh, I've read that one. Oh, she loves Excellent. that book. It changed her life. Excellent. She is a avid reader in, in these types of books. And she also loved, um, uh, it was the dance of anger. And oh, um, it wasn't from her. Never mind. It was from one of my mentors, Leo, uh, a relationship expert I had on here. Uh, codependent no more. Yes. That's yeah. an excellent book. That's probably 30 years old, I would think. Yeah, long one. And I got it actually on the shelf. I suggest it to people that trying to figure out, you know, that that relationship and the idea of it uh, and what codependency means and how it's not real love or a relationship when it's codependency, when you when you can share each other's life and not give each other's life. Right. And not blend yourself into their world. Right. Or lose yourself. Mm. Yeah, I like that notion. Lose yourself. You know, we, I, I yeah, I, I was kind of going to ask that we covered that, too. I'm kind of I'm making sure we don't have podcast remorse. So I'm I'm scanning the massive oh, okay. the massive okay. amounts of notes going, man. We covered so much that I, I didn't want to miss anything. Um you know, you talked a little bit about I have written here the you know what, let let let's do that. That and walk into you know what you do. I know you offer programs, I know you offer um one on one, uh et cetera. You've talked a lot about the medium stuff and the connections, the energy cleansing. Uh, maybe Tell a little bit about what you do. You know what I mean? As, as the processes, the offerings, as you call them, on your website. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I have audios that that I've created, and that would be a, a real inexpensive way to get my work with the energy clearings, the teachings, um, mindset changing belief systems, and that sort of thing. And I have several of them. I've got Happiness Jumpstart. I have the Aphrodite effect. Um, I'll just, the happiness jumpstart would be for somebody who is struggling to be happy. They don't know where to start. They know that they could be happier. And, you know, they may have tried a few different things. So, you know, for the people that are watching the show, normally it's a $98 um, three part audio. There's, so there's three hours plus. Um, with energy clearings and teachings, I will offer that for $33. It's just $11 in audio. Wow. And I also have an Aphrodite effect. This one is awesome. Uh, part one clears your past love story. And it, so you cannot really open your heart to receive love if you're still hanging on to resentment or anger from the last one or maybe two loves ago. And so then it's becoming all in. And then there's the co-creation of that relationship. You become really clear about what you want, what you don't want. And then there's a manifestation exercise. And when I say really clear, you'll get crystal clear on what you want. So I do energy clearings. I, I uh, read the Akashic Records. The Akashic Records, it's the record book of God. 
everything that has ever happened in your soul's existence since the beginning of time is in the Akashic Records. And so I open the Akashic Records and I do energy clearings in my coaching sessions. So I am an expert at helping people love themselves, be fearless and happy. And I also help women that are non-orgasmic become orgasmic. Um, I am also very good at bringing two people together that really don't want to get divorced. I do individual coaching sessions as opposed to working with the two together. My sense is that the relationship is two individuals. So two people need separate coaching rather than into, you know, relationship coaching. And that's how a relationship is healed. When you work on yourself, then you'll be coming to the relationship in a, from a different place. Let's see. I write, I have a blog with over 630 blog posts. Love yourself fearlessly. And my website, as Adam has graciously mentioned, is Aphrodite Effect. Um, other than that, let's see. Dancing and, and, you know, one of these days, I think, you know, when I do a, a major workshop, dancing is definitely going to be involved as part of the process. And I think that we as humans need to come together in ceremony dancing and we connect to our soul. We connect to our bodies and we connect to the joy that's inside through dance. It's a huge part of my life. I, my, I know my uh, co-producer, uh, Steve, uh, as everyone knows, Steve Stone, uh, he is a pro uh, dancer. He's a uh, pro swing dancer. He can do it all. He is. Uh, wow. he, uh, he kills it, man. And he's given me a few lessons on the actual real dance. And now my dance threshold is very small. You could probably beatbox and offbeat something and I'll start wiggling <laughs> something. Uh, my, my wife and I joke about our dance thresholds. Hers is very small as is mine. And my grandfather passed down a habit to me that I didn't realize I had is if I hear any two or three word phrases for the most part around my house, I can put together a song somehow from those <laughs> lyrics. And sometimes it's a real song and sometimes I'm making it up like I thought my grandfather did. You know, and I may sing that fake song a couple lines and my wife's wiggling in the in the, you know, in the kitchen already. <laughs> you know, so my dance threshold is small. I would urge anyone listening to sh shorten your dance threshold, make it small to where you can dance without music even. Well, and, you know, the, here's the thing about about dance. It doesn't need to be perfect. Mm. It's just about moving the body. And uh, hey, I. I have never been a great dancer, but I enjoy what I do. It's, it's fun, you know, and moving. That's the thing is that this chair is not your friend. We, we are meant to move. And if you want to stay healthy, young, vital and alive for as long as possible, you want to move your body. Sitting in your chair isn't going to keep you healthy. I uh, couldn't agree more. And this, this, a lot of people in society, it's about, let me just hurry up and get back home to the couch to relax. And that's, it, it seems like we're just chasing relaxation all the time as opposed to growth and optimization. Well, I think we've confused relaxation with checking out and vegging. Oh, I think I've done that. People, Hell, I right? do that. 
Yeah, I've done that. I've yeah, I confuse uh what do they call it binge watching? Yeah. I've had my yes. binge watching on Netflix with a new show and I call it relaxing, but you're right. I'm I'm just unplugging really. I'm just really turning off. Yeah. Mm. We have So go ahead. I I was just going to mention again about meditation. All it requires is you to sit still, close your eyes, and just be still, you know, and breathe. I, I have a video, a YouTube video called the Divine Presence Process Meditation. I used to think I couldn't meditate. Anybody can meditate. I would agree with that. And look, for those of you sitting there, remember, uncomfortable is where the change is. Sit uncomfortably in comfortably constructive places. Put yourself in those spots because that, I think, changes you the most. You were about to say something before I went off on that meditation tangent. Uh, it, it was probably a lie. <laughs> oh, I got a joke in there. My my uh, <laughs> my mother-in-law, who I love dearly, she is so cool. One day I'll get her on the podcast. She's got stories for days. I, I love her. She's so cool. Um, every time she's looking at you, if she's about to tell you something and she forgot, she goes, ah, must have been a lie. <laughs> yeah, somebody will use that today. Um, is I, one, I have two or three topics that I have written that I want to save because I think they're going to connect because I'd love to have you back on my, my vibration feels too good right now not to have you back on. I'm aware <laughs> of how I feel and the thoughts that are around me and it's a good place and I love being around that. And thank you for sharing that vibe, that energy, that story, your life, your philosophy with me and, and, and everybody and all the tribe of change listening. Thanks, Adam. I really appreciate it. It was fun. And, you know, we're from different generations, but look at how we still were able to carry on quite a full conversation. <laughs> yeah. And I would have to say it's probably because of your willingness to be open and mine to, to question, to listen, to be open. I, I think both sides. And I think you're right. I, we'll give us some fucking props here. We were able to connect a few a generation or so apart and still find a way to sit for two hours and 27 minutes wow. and vibe. That was good. Thank you. Can uh, Where can everybody find you? Facebook, social media, Twitter? Want to put any of those out there? I know you put a lot of okay. website stuff. Oh, I'm I'm on Instagram, Jennifer Elizabeth Masters, and Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, let's see. You can definitely find me on my blog, Jennifer Elizabeth Masters at Blogspot, or you could Google Love Yourself Fearlessly, and if you send me an email, I respond to every email. Oh, beautiful. Um, thank you for doing this again. Um, as I always uh, say after I connect with somebody, uh, love you, Jennifer. Thank you for doing the show. Thank you, Adam. I love you, too. I really appreciate you. Oh, man. You're nurturing. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. I'll see you uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, 30 days, 45 days or something like that. Let's retouch and reconnect Sounds again. Sounds good. All right. Take care and have a, a good rest of the day. You too. Uh, thank you for joining me on the Cognitive Rampage podcast live. I have to tell you that, uh, you know, I'm coming away from, you know, that, that talk with uh, Jennifer moved, 
on a higher vibration, on a higher level, and I just, I don't know, you feel connected, I think. I, I, I can't walk away from physically how I feel, right, or, or the thoughts that are creating that, but, um, you know, whether you identify with anything or everything or parts of the things that we said and shared between each other, um, I know something had to touch you and reach you today uh, from those stories that she shared, um, tragic in some, but yet, you know, revealing in others. Destruction also breeds creation. And I, I think Jennifer uh, was explaining that, I think, to a lot of us. And when we can find a way to take our destruction and breed creation from it, beginning with the destruction of ourselves or yourself and myself that may have happened a long time ago or recently. And through that destruction, I think we can breed a recreation of something new. And I think that's what Elizabeth and I want to call it Elizabeth, what Jennifer was saying is was, was saying that you can reconstruct anything beginning with love of self and acceptance of those things that happen to us and a trust of self uh, and, and, and a one and a flow with the universe. And I think that's the beautiful part about the words that she shared and the stories and the philosophies. And if you're listening, if you're alone out there, if you don't feel like love exists, please listen to her, follow her blog. Uh, she is inspirational for that. And if you need that kind of movement or that kind of power, reach out for it. Whether it's Jennifer or someone near you, reach out for the power. You can reconstruct yourself, reconstruct your thoughts. You can rebirth yourself and love again. And, uh, Thank you for that reminder today, Jennifer, to myself and everyone else to remain open, to seek love and love yourself and you'll be able to share love with other people. You got to look up my girl. She's awesome. You will see her again on the podcast. Uh, I promise you that. Um, let's see. We will be launching a, uh, no, I got to give her some shout outs too. Please go to Aphrodite Effect. That's Aphrodite E Effect for those of you that took public school grammar like myself. It is Aphrodite, and it's not like Afro. It's the A-P-H version. So Aphrodite Effect. Check out that blog. She's got some wonderful courses that she talked about. Um, for all of you Beyonce strong women out there that are are trying to conquer those things and find yourself, I would urge you that Jennifer is a great place to start if not continue. Uh, and put together your new life and recreating it. So check out her blogs. Please buy her book. Uh, I love the name of it. Uh, I love the essence behind it, the revelations, the transparency in it. It is brave to be transparent. And to title your first book, uh, <laughs> Living, was it Living with an Orgasm, right? Like Life and Orgasm. Why am I just slipping my mind right now? Oh, I can't remember. I'll pull it back up. Um, yeah, let me see. Yeah, Orgasm for Life. And so buy the book, Orgasm for Life. I uh, I think I was too busy thinking about what it may entail, that it may have been lost in what the title is. But check that out. Uh, again, uh, shout out to you, Adam Gates, too. Um, thanks for connecting with us and connecting me with your mom and um, even David Gates out there. And Ariel, your mom loves you. Your life loves you. Love you. Damn it. No, I'm kidding. I'm on your side, really. I really am. No, um, love you guys out there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We will have a podcast on uh, tomorrow. I will be live with DJ Kid Nemesis, who is a very uh, well-known DJ in the Miami club scene, internationally, etc. 
But him and I have a story. We are friends from a long time ago, and we haven't connected in a very long time. But there's a story I'm going to tell when I watch this young man. He was very young at the time. He was truly DJ Kid Nemesis. And DJ Kid Nemesis did some behavior, this awesome, amazing, loving thing that I had never seen before from a DJ. And I think I knew at that moment that this kid is going to be something big. He was going to be big and good, and he has. And he stayed his humble self for all this time and all the fame and love, etc. So DJ Kid Nemesis will be joining us tomorrow. Again, thank you to all we mentioned in the podcast. Thank you to Adam Gates. Thank you to the Tribe of Change. I love you all. I hope you're taking care of you. Thank you, Jennifer, again, once again, for being on the podcast. And look her up. Uh, I hope you're taking care of you. I hope you're living your cognitive rampage. Love you guys. And girl.